Hello and welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. That's right, it's a Monster Kid Radio, and that's right, I'm Derek M. Cook, the writer, host, and producer of this here show. The music you're hearing right now is called Red River Surf. It is from the band The Hominoids, and you can find them over at thehominoids.bandcamp.com and check out their brand new album, Monster of the Mekong. It just came out earlier this month. As of this recording, four days ago, it's brand stinking new, and I think you guys and gals are going to like it. You'll hear this song in its entirety at the end of the episode, but in the meantime, check out the entire album. It's awesome. Big thanks to the band for letting us play their music on this episode this week on Monster Kid Radio. What are we talking about? Well... If you looked at the cover arts, I think you probably can figure it out because you've got a Frankenstein monster looking dude and a Dracula looking dude going at each other. It's Dracula versus Frankenstein from 1971 from director Al Adamson. I adore this film, but I'll let you in on a little secret. And I didn't mention this when I was recording with this week's guest about it. The first time I saw this, I was pretty underwhelmed. I didn't like it. It wasn't until like the second or third time that I gave it another shot that I fell deeply, madly, passionately in love with this film. And you know who else likes this movie? Stephen D. Sullivan. Stephen D. Sullivan is going to be joining me this week to break down this movie, to talk about it, and let you guys and gals know why it's just so darn cool. I know the movie gets kind of a bad rap, and you know, some people say it's deservedly so. Where does Kenny come down on it? Well, you'll find out in Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This movie got ample coverage in that magazine. Now, that's not all that's happening this week on the show. We just wrapped up round three of this year's Monster Movie Madness, and I had another Steve, Steve Turek from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, come in and we went over the results of this week's voting. And we're setting you guys and gals up for the Frightful Four. It's going to be a good time. I'm really looking forward to this episode. I had a lot of fun just spending a lot of time with Dracula versus Frankenstein, and I hope you have a lot of fun spending time with us here. Before we get into the rest of the episode, though, I do want to make a comment about a post that I put on the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page and the website, and it should have actually popped up in your feed as well, potentially, depending on how your podcast catcher is set up. The title of the post was, Are You a Maker, Small Business Owner, Creator, and a Monster Kid? Here's the thing. In the coronapocalypse, what we're dealing with right now, a lot of small businesses are taking a hit. Businesses that aren't considered essential services, you know, they're just not making any money right now because, well, they can't. They can't go in. And, you know, for example, a couple of places that you might know if you listen to the show, Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop, that toy store, yeah, it's been shut down during all of this. The Joy Cinema, you know, the place that does the weird Wednesday events that I sometimes go to and introduce films at? Yeah, they're not showing movies right now either. But... We want them to be around when we can finally get back to normal life, whenever that happens, right? And to do that, we need to support these businesses. The Joy Cinema and Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shop both are making gift certificates available, and you can buy them online. The gift certificates will be good after the businesses reopen, hopefully sooner rather than later, and then you can enjoy a movie or a toy or whatever it is you bought a gift certificate for. If you are a maker, if you are a small business, if you do anything like this at all, and you could use a little extra help during this corona apocalypse, I want to give you the platform to do so. Please get a hold of me. Email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or better yet, if you put together like a 30 to 60 second ad, I'd be happy to drop that into rotation here on the show. In fact, I'd even be happy to drop like a 60 second video into the social distance Saturday screenings that I'm doing right now. Bottom line is, is I don't want any monster kids to go under while we're dealing with the Corona apocalypse. 
And one of those people that reached out to me after I posted this was Reber Clark. He is a composer. You might know him from, well, he was in the Monster Bash coverage last year. And he also was the composer on the award-winning, more on that later, House of the Gorgon film that came out last year. You know, the movie I did the sound effects on. He just recently released a new digital album through his Bandcamp page. It's at reberclark.bandcamp.com. The album is The Last Incantation, The Rejected Score. The Last Incantation was a short film that he did the music for and I did some sound work on. Last year, won an award at the Lovecraft Film Festival here in Portland. And some of the music that Reber composed for that short was not used in the short. So if you want to hear what that music sounded like, and I guarantee you do because it's just really good. Again, reberclark.bandcamp.com and look up The Last Incantation. Here's the thing about Bandcamp. You can listen to the songs for free through the website. However... If you want to support the musicians, you can also buy the digital album. And I highly recommend Reber. The guy does really, really good work. And on top of everything else, he also told me he's working on a couple of albums right now of ambient music. So that should be coming out over the next few weeks. So again, if you're a business owner or a maker, if you have an Etsy store or you have a small business that had to shut down or whatever, and you want a little bit more promotion, I'd be happy to give you a bump here. If, if I can, I want to do everything I can to make sure us fellow monster kids are around once the Corona apocalypse isn't. And a second ago, I mentioned Social Distance Saturday. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show. So make sure you play through the entire episode, which is going to start right about now. Come into the cave of the bat demons. They are waiting for you. They are longing for your blood. They hope you'll drop in to join them in horror of the blood monsters and you a ghastly journey into the weird world of the undead. You will feel your flesh crawl and tingle as creeping creatures slither out of the night to satisfy their unholy cravings. But I warn you, don't come to see horror of the blood monsters alone. Bring a friend. Bring a fiend. Bring your nerve. Horror of the blood monsters in weird color. Rated GT. You will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atom Age Vampire, you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance. As tragedy forever mars her loveliness. Leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face. Restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. A transplant directly from another human being. A mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. No! No! 
fire a volley through the window pane. You will gasp as lust and madness stalk the darkened, screaming night in Adam Age Vampire. Hello, this is Rod Barnett, the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast about eclectic film from across the decade. On The Bloody Pit, we've covered Godzilla movies, Doctor Who movies starring Peter Cushing, The Outer Limits, Fu Manchu, Doc Savage, old radio shows, my favorite movies of all time, a Lucio Fulci film or two, 1970s science fiction movies, and a long series on the films of Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti. So if you're curious to learn a little bit about some of the stranger areas of cult film and television, join me and my rotating group of co-hosts on The Bloody Pit. You might even learn something about Coffin Joe. And that's scary, people. Very scary. And just wait, because I'm, I'm going to share my story about how I almost killed Donnie Dunnigan yesterday. Well, you know what? Why don't we start with that? Uh, I'm recording. Tell me about killing Donnie uh, Dunnigan. <laughs> oh, you're recording now? Oh, yeah. I, I did not kill Donnie Dunnigan. I almost accidentally killed Donnie Dunnigan. Uh, as you know, on our podcast, The Diecast Movie Review, we put out the Donnie Dunnigan interview this week. And uh, Mr. Dunnigan asked me to contact him when it was out, you know, so he could look it up and that kind of stuff. And so I called him yesterday and um, he answered his, his phone and I could hear all this going on in the background. And I realized right away, a ghastly and, and almost, almost like in shock, he answered my phone while he's riding on his Harley. Now, Mr. Dunnigan is 85 or 86 years old, <laughs> riding a Harley, talking to me on his cell phone. And I'm thinking, if I kill this man, I am going to be stoned by Disney fans. And if I get away from Nen, then son of Frankenstein fans. I mean, I'm never going to escape. I'd have to move to some small isolated island to, to live out the rest of my life. But thankfully, Mr. Dunnigan survived that call. Why he took the call while he was riding on the Harley, I don't know. But, you know, and we talked later on and had a good conversation. So, yes, he did not die during my call. I was like, I can't believe he's answering me. He's riding his Harley. And I'm thinking, I can't believe this, this, this person in his mid-80s is riding his Harley. But then again, that's the way he is. <laughs> and that's why I like him. You know, he's just he's just that kind of guy. And uh, you've interviewed him before, Derek. And, you know. He, yeah, it's been years since I. Yeah, he's he's a kick, man. And if you ever get to meet him in person, have you ever met him in person? I have not. He makes you feel like you're the most important person in the world when you're talking to him. When I chatted with him, like, it's been a couple of years now, but when I spoke with him, he was very personable. He was just really approachable in terms of like life experience and all that. I mean, he's got it on both of us, not just age, but with everything that he's done with his life. Right. But he just seems like this guy you can just go right up to and chat with him and, and no big deal and whatever. And yes, he's really cool. So. And for those of you that are movie makers that do documentaries, I was telling him this, that his life should be a documentary because it has everything that a movie would want. I mean, you know, and it's still going on now. His big saying is, don't rust out, wear out. And he lives that to the extreme where don't just sit there and rust away. 
keep being productive, keep doing stuff, wear yourself out. And when I was talking to him, he was coming back from dropping off um, masks at one of the um, local nursing homes that his wife had made. So here they are, him and his wife are doing these errands of mercy during the pandemic um, to help take care of other people. You just can't ask for a better person. By Harley Davidson. Yeah, riding his Harley Davidson. I mean, you know, what, what can you say? <laughs> <laughs> it was just something. He, you know, he told me, I don't know how true this is, but he said, I mean, you know, he told me it was the first time he ever answered a call on his Harley because all the news going on, he thought this would be something important. So he took my call while he was riding the Harley. He, <laughs> and he told me later, he's like, you're the first person I've ever answered the phone if when I'm on my Harley. So you and I have done a first together. And I'm thinking to myself, thank God it wasn't the last. <laughs> Like I said, yeah, no kidding. Well, right? I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> I didn't think I, you know, I'm obviously not that important. To you know, you should take my call when you're riding on the Harley. But that was my yesterday. That was that was a fun talk with him, and um, you, you get people that are in those movies that bring those stories to life, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was it was nice to get an interview him and then hearing his Q and A and all that kind of stuff. It's it's really good. When I chatted with him, it was not. I mean, I think I'd been doing MKR for at least a year at that point, but I still. I feel like if I had chatted with him today, it'd be a lot different, you know, because there's still a little bit of that intimidation factor when you're first starting out and all that. And I feel like maybe I wasn't as connectable as I would be now. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, he was really cool, really cool. And I'm looking forward to listening to your interview. I haven't done it yet because I've been working on the show this week, but people can find it now. It's the most recent episode in the feed over at the Diecast Movie Reviews, right? Yes, it is. And it's, it's, it's actually... Um really moving up in traction and plays and stuff like that. Right on. Very cool, man. Well, let's get to what we're supposed to be talking about today. Let's play that intro and talk about the matchups with the monster movie madness. Steve, we have a record. We have gotten more votes this round than we have in any other round in either year of the Monster Movie Madness Tournament, I feel like. We got 100. Yes, we, we hit triple uh, digits. Yeah. 100. We scored like Will Chamberlain when he scored 100 points in one game. I know this means nothing to you, but I'm tying it into basketball a little bit. This is like the Will Chamberlain rounds. You know what? Good for you, man. Good on, good on you. Good on you. I actually got a comment on Twitter. Uh, it might have been yesterday. Somebody saying that uh, they get it. I don't like sports. And, you know, the thing is, I, it's not that I dislike sports. I just don't know sports. Besides, I, I love pro wrestling, and that kind of counts, right? Well, they actually had WrestleMania recently. They, they still did that. So it's the. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I don't even want to go. That's a door that I don't want to open. That's not why people tune into the show here. But, uh, you know, WWE. Uh, you know what? Moving on. How dare you, sir? Okay. Let's talk about monsters. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, Will Chamberlain does tie in because um, he, he actually was in the Conan, the Destroyer movie. So he's See, actually. Why, why you got to do that, though? That movie. Oh. Uh, What's, what's wrong? What's wrong with that movie? Seriously? Seriously? I mean, oh come on, Steve. Conan the Barbarian is like the benchmark 
Conan the Destroyer is the, uh, what were we doing again? I still want Conan the King. I want him to finish the trilogy. I know. Yeah. <laughs> in every couple of years. What are we talking about? Steve, we have work to do here, man. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. It was a monster movie. I was trying to tie Wilt into monster movies. I know. I know. <laughs> it's my fault. My fault. My fault. All right. He's Conan the-, the Destroyer has a great score. I'll give it that. Oh, it, but Conan the Barbarian has a better score. <laughs> that it does. They're both by the same guy, but you're absolutely right. Oh, I got that one recording. You know, I'm a sound, I'm, a, I'm a movie soundtrack guy. I know you're not. You know, I, you, you don't really follow scores, but the, some of the movie scores are just wonderful. Oh, that's the stuff right there. Oh boy. But let's move on to the East Division because people don't want to hear us talk about Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. They want to hear us talk about results and who's going to be playing against who, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I don't have a snappy comeback. Yes, you are absolutely right, Steve. Thank you, Derek. That's what they're looking for. And- All right, so just to recap for people who uh, may just now be joining us for the first time, every year during the month of March, I know it's April, get over it, every every year during the month of March, we launched the Monster Movie Madness tournament. Last year, we did uh, like best movies or favorite movies. This year, we are doing movies that uh, some people might call so bad they're good. Uh, they're kind of weird. Most of them have probably been on Mystery Science Theater 3000. And Steve put together the bracket. We are in week three or about to reveal the results of week three. Yes, we're about to find out who's going to be on our final four. We have eight teams left and we're about to reduce them to four. And every single one of these matchups at one point were tied. Now, I've intentionally, just like last week, I've intentionally not looked at the results. I can see that we had 100 responses. That's all I can see. So I don't know who won. I'm eager to find out who won. And, and why don't we go ahead and kick it off with the East Division? East Division, we had Billy the Kid versus Dracula up against the horror at Party Beach. And Billy the Kid wins with 56% of the vote. But one thing I want to note here. Somehow, wow. somebody did get a vote in for the Creeping Terror. Obviously, it did not affect the result because 56 votes went towards Billy the Kid and 43 went to the hard party beach. But the creeping terror somehow snuck its way back in saying, vote for me. And it, whatever, one person voted for it and Billy the Kid shot it down. Good. I Okay. Yeah. You told me a little bit about this before we started recording that there were a couple of odd votes that came in that picked people from or picked movies from the previous round. I'm not sure how that happened. That's that's um. I don't hmm. know. I looked them over again and I saw it was only the two. Is, I don't know how they got the creeping. So I think it was the creeping terror that voted for itself. Okay. You know, because it felt so bad getting knocked out in the first round that it decided to, you know, it was, like we said, it was rolled up in the carpet and put in the corner. It decided to unroll itself. And Billy the Kid and the, um, the, the basically the kids and the, the party beach partied over top of it and Billy the Kid finished them off and then rolled them up in the carpet and put it away. And put it away. Fair enough. Okay. But yeah, Billy the Kid versus Dracula, 56%. I, I voted for Billy the Kid, and I believe you voted for Billy the Kid too, right? Uh, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and listen to the last episode, but I, I have so much love for Horror at Party Beach because of the music. It's hard. I can't remember. Well, I think you and I both voted for it because of the John Carradine factor. That's right. You're, you're absolutely right. Thank you for paying attention more than I was. Well, music can only carry a film so far. You do need <laughs> somebody. <laughs> up there with some gravitas which is why conan the destroyer does not you know what (laughs) you know you know i know your podcast doesn't go up that far 
Now uh-huh. I'm determined. You and I are going to review this year. We're going to make it happen. Both Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer with my children. Why do you hate me so much? I don't hate you at all. I, I own both those movies. I love both those movies. I just don't. I, I want you to explain on a recorded format why you don't like that movie. And we'll see if my two children agree or disagree with you. They're going to be biased, man. Come on. They're your kids. Yeah, they'll probably go with you. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but I can't ground them afterwards if they disagree with me. One's 24, one's 20. You don't really ground the 24 and Well, a that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the West Division, we had the Titanic matchup of the Giant Claw against It Conquered the World. This matchup was decided by two votes. It was 51% to 49%, but it had been wow. tied... Almost all the time. Every time I looked at it, it was either tied or just about to be tied. And But there was only two-vote difference. Who did you vote for, Derek? The Giant Claw conquered the world. I went with my battleship. So did I. So you and I, you and I decided who won this one. Really? But it's a two-vote difference, right? It was that close, huh? Yeah. 51%. 100 votes. Wow. <laughs> Giant wow. Claw moves on. Barely conquering it conquered the world i mean it just made the jump that's awesome but not to be outdone by the next one. Oh no really that close huh okay yeah the south division Derek, was decided just as closely we had plan nine from outer space against gamma the giant monster and somehow santa claus came back and got a single vote it huh. did not decide the winner because the winner did get 51% of the vote. So if the other one would okay. have had Santa Claus, they would have been at 49. So it was still, um, you know, it, it would not have been a tie. Who did you vote for? Did you vote for Plan 9 Gamer? Or were you the crazy person that voted for Santa Claus? <laughs> I, started <laughs> no, I, I, voted, I started, I voted for Plan 9 from Outer Space. And I voted for Gamera. So we cancel each other out. And Gamera, the giant monster, moves on at 51% of the vote. Oh, you're killing me. Plan 9 at one time had a 60% lead and just saw it evaporate as the days went by. And then they were battling it out. It was tied, one vote difference, that kind of stuff. It was crazy. It's like I said, every one of these was decided by just a couple of votes at most. The, the biggest winner was Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid had the biggest vote difference. That leaves one division left, Derek. The former North Division, as we now call it, the Toho Division, or the division that formerly had the monster at Pedro's Bonkers. Oh, come on. Nah, nah, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And Derek, this division, for some reason, only had 99 votes. I think I know what happened. One of two possibilities. Either you didn't vote because of the reason I just said, or more likely, because I know you would vote, you know. Somebody could not decide between the two and decided to abstain. That sounds more like your style, my friend. Oh, I voted. Well, before you announce the winner, I'd like to make a comment. Oh, go for it. Last week, I kind of downplayed uh, Godzilla Rides Again, or Rides Again. <laughs> it's a kaiju western. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be the Austin Western. <laughs> Godzilla's Godzilla. riding a giant horse. <laughs> I'll save you. And he rides off to the sunset at the end. Oh, that would, that, 
I'd pay good money to see that. <laughs> yeah, I just they, it, it's Godzilla, and they put a, sa- a saddle on Gyrus, and he's just anyway. All right, <laughs> Godzilla raids again. Last week, yeah, I was a little un- disappointed that Monster Piatras didn't win, but I, I did honestly and genuinely say that uh, Godzilla raids again, one of the lesser films, that sort of thing. Really, kind of talked about how much uh, of. Uh, Conan the Destroyer it is to the Conan the Barbarian that Godzilla is, right? Well, I, I want to take it back because I stumbled across a video on YouTube. The YouTube channel, the YouTubers named The Omni Viewer. Oh. He did a video called Why Godzilla Raids Again is an Important Film. And in 9 minutes and 28 seconds, he got me really thinking about that movie so much so that I have plans today to watch that film and watch it with a new perspective. He talked about how much commentary and, and messaging there is in this film, just like in the first Godzilla film, how it's a reaction to a lot of things going on with like the nuclear testing and the war and everything else going on, right? Well, he talks a lot about what Godzilla Rates Again is talking about. And I want to say thank you to the Omni Viewer for opening my eyes and making me understand a little bit more about what's going on in Godzilla Raids again, and I cannot wait to revisit it. Unfortunately, I didn't watch this video before I voted. So I voted for Frankenstein Conquers the World, but this video, I'm going to make sure there's a link to in the show notes because I think it's really interesting. And I voted for Godzilla Raids again. And speaking of Frankenstein Conquers the World, for fans of Frankenstein Conquers the World, isn't there something that um, that's still on eBay? Yeah, Steve, the Frankenstein Conquers the World campaign manual, the press kit, is still available through my eBay page. Just hop over to ebay.com and look up Brother D73. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course. As of this recording, as of the release of this, you got about half a day left. Get in so there. Head over there. Get in there and put a bid on it before somebody steals it from you. You're always going to regret you can get a piece of this Toho treasure. Man, there's already, there is one watcher on there right now. There is one watcher on there right now. So, you know, if you want to get it, plus if you're in the Toho mood, I got a Yogg Monster from Space press book in there as well. Help me pay next month's rent, man. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree with you. And, and um, the reason I, reason I wanted to make sure you brought up Frankenstein Conquers the World now is because Frankenstein Conquers the World was conquered by Godzilla Raids again. Godzilla really again moves on with 52.5 percent of the vote wow so what i just said about godzilla raids again i am going to be real curious about what happens when i watch that movie later today to see how it stacks um see if it changes my opinion regarding what i think about frankenstein conquest the world but wow okay so godzilla raids again moves forward gotcha yeah, last year when we did our Elite Eight, all the four matchups were not this razor thin. I mean, we definitely, with the listeners, lucked into having certain matchups play out where these two movies went against each other and that were very popular with the listeners. You, know, you could see because the margins were so thin. This is why it's important to vote, people. If you didn't vote and your movie didn't win, I mean, literally, your one vote or so, you, you and your. Friends vote could have made the difference between It Conquered the World or the Giant Claw. I mean, and um, Plane 9 from Outer Space against Gamera. They would have literally made the difference between those two. I mean, Frankenstein Conquers the World and Godzilla were very close. Well, we'll uh, update the bracket, of course, but 
before we talk about that, we have to talk about what we think next week's results are going to be, right? That's right, Derek. You being the monster movie expert, and you get it right 50% of the time, just like I do. (laughs) 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 I'm just saying, you know, I mean, you can only call it from your own point of view. I mean, and you're guessing what everybody else is going to go with. And uh, I've heard a life of me. We'll tell you, I never thought Billy the Kid versus Dracula was going to get to the final four. (laughs) Really? I never thought the horror party beach would have legs like it did. When you're looking at it, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this will be good. I'm... But, hey, there they are. Yeah. But, so now we have Billy the Kid versus Dracula against the one of my favorite movies, The Giant Claw. And this is going to be, a, I think, a very good matchup. I'm going with The Giant Claw because I told you I'm in for the claw all the way. Claw! Go claw! <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Man, I... I'm torn on this one. John Carradine as Dracula is great, and I love my horror westerns, and this is one of them. But the giant claw is so delightfully fun to watch. I'm I'm going to go with the giant claw as well. There are a couple of moments in Billy the Kid versus Dracula that make me cringe a little bit. Yeah. Whereas in the giant claw, I'm pretty much grinning the entire time. So yeah, the giant claw for me. I'm going, like I said, I'm going for the claw and, and really this would be a very interesting double feature. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, for those, for those that have time on their hands during this week, you might want to watch all four of the final four movies. And then the, that way you can make a fresh decision, you know, not trust your memory. We've cultivated four good ones for you in a sense. Well, speaking of double features, man, this next matchup, I'll guide you all the way here. It's a matchup everybody always discusses. Gamera, Godzilla. Gamera or Godzilla. We're talking about the first Gamera movie against the second Godzilla movie. This, to me, I'm going with Godzilla Raids again because when it comes between the two, I'm overall more of a Godzilla Raids again fan. It's going to be, again, I think, a very close margin, just like the other, just like the other matchups have been so far. What do you think, Derek? You being the expert, I know you're a big Gamera fan. I am a huge camera fan. Um, hmm. Now, this Gamera the Giant Monster, this is the... The very first Gamera movie. So, are we considering it the Japanese version or the Gamera the Invincible with the American footage? It, uh, it's the first film, right? It's the Japanese? Yeah, I'd say we'll go with the Japanese. One. I think okay. I think when people wrote it down, they might have been meaning Gamera the Invincible. It's the first Gamera movie, yeah. Whichever it, it, one you people like the best. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, really. And I know <laughs> that with like the Rally Awards, we do differentiate, but I think with these, we with the Monster Movie Madness, we really don't. You know, I'm going to go with Godzilla Raids again, and I think again, I'm going to blame it, some of this on the OmniViewer video that I watched. But yeah, I think Godzilla Raids again has more to say. I do think the fight scenes are a little goofy because they're so sped up, but you know what? I'm I'm down with it. I'm going Godzilla Raids again. Oh, Derek, my heart is so happy to hear you say that. And if things go our way, the next round is going to be a giant American movie versus a giant Japanese movie. Well, it's going to be a giant Japanese movie no matter what. Giant Japanese monster movie no matter what, but... Can you imagine if the giant claw goes against Godzilla raids again? I'll admit, I'm very torn. You know, that said, (laughs) and we were joking earlier when I misspoke, Godzilla rides again versus Billy the Kid? Come on. That'd be great. If Billy the Kid was played by Nick Adams, 
Oh, it would be, yes. It would be a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, man. I'm all in. <laughs> and imagine you had a Dracula that was as high, as big as Godzilla, you know? It's like... <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, you know, they did it with Frankenstein. They, they, they made him big. Why not? Let's do it. What if Dracula was to bite, bite a giant monster and make it a vampire? We'd be doomed. We'd all be doomed. No, because we'd have Godzilla. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing out a concept there, you know? I mean, not, not like you're a writer or anything. <laughs> well, I'm real curious to see how this one turns out. So this is the final four, or what were we calling it last year? The Frightful Four? The Frightful Four. You can call whatever you want. Just vote, people. Everybody vote. We're getting the vote out. Um, we, like I said, let's see if we can pass 100. There, there's only two matchups, four movies to pick from, so it only literally would take you less than a minute to vote. Right, and just like before, go over to tinyurl.com slash monstermadness2020 or follow the link in the show notes. Steve and I will go over the results of the next round. Same time, same place, same podcast next week, which means you've got until... Let's say the 14th, which is Tuesday of next week. We'll say midnight that day, wherever you're at, just sometime on the 14th. And then the morning of the 15th, Wednesday, Steve and I will meet and review the results. Sound good to you? Sounds good to me. I'm telling you, this, it's been fun. It's been fun. I'm actually having more fun with this one than I did last year. And I think it's because the movies are just a little bit more wonky. You know, I, I think with the the classic as opposed to the not so classic monster movies that i talk about here on the show most of us are pretty much on the same page right and it's real easy to understand why frankenstein might be dracula here or the wolfman might be the creature there or whatever right because they're all great films this one i find a little bit more interesting this batch so i'm real curious to see what happens next week this has been a lot of fun i don't know how you're going to top it next year but that's a year away we'll discuss that when we discuss the winner the whole thing about what my projections are for next year so we could, we'll tease it out. Sounds real good. Steve, before we wrap up, this episode is the episode in which Steve Sullivan and I are talking about Dracula versus Frankenstein. Do you have any comments about that film you'd like to share right now? Dracula versus Frankenstein to me is better than Conan the Destroyer. Okay. And Conan the Barbarian together. Oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Okay. I have a special spot in my heart for that movie. And when I saw first saw it, unlike most people, like, that watch these monster films and they remember all the actors and directors. I would just watch the films and just enjoy Frankenstein or Dracula. And, it, and as they're being played by different people, it didn't bother me. Continuity didn't bother me. You know, it's just, I just want to enjoy a film. So when I saw this growing up, I enjoyed it. And I didn't know that that was Lon Chaney Jr. in it. Oh, okay. You know, and that okay. kind of stuff. And I first saw it when I was, you know, when I was a young lad, and all I remembered was, boy, this guy's doing a really good job of acting and he had the little dog and all that stuff. And, and yes, the makeup is on the Frankenstein monster is a little, not as good as other Frankenstein movies. <laughs> <laughs> a little, you know, mushy mashed potato. Yeah, I totally understand. Uh huh. But the ending, you gotta love it. You know, the fight in the woods, all the other stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just, I really, I really enjoyed that film. I think a lot of these films, and I think not just Dracula versus Frankenstein, but the movies we've been talking about in the tournament, I think the reason they all hold a special place for us, we all saw these movies when we were younger, for the most part. And you'd have that nostalgic viewing when you're watching it, of like, oh, bringing you back to when you were 10 or whatever years old, watching these films for the first time. 
And I think that's what always makes them have a special place in our heart. And Dracula versus Frankenstein definitely does. I mean, it has Russ Tamblin in it. It has, um, um, who is the guy that played the mad scientist? J. Carroll Nash. Nash? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I was on the track. Derek has to be totally off the cuff. So I have nothing in front of me. So I'm going by total memory. J. Carroll Nash, he did a nice job, but I was always drawn in by the Dracula. It was just because he was so different looking than any Dracula I'd ever seen in my life. Oh, he's great. He's great. And he, and, and he does a good job. And yes, there are parts that are funny and there are parts that are sad. And you, so I find it very enjoyable. I know, I know um, you and Steve will go into a more scholarly rant on it and, and be able to go into more extreme detail than, than I am doing now. But it, I find that film a positive film to watch. I know some people like to rag on it, say it's terrible, this and that. Some people, when they earn these type of films, just cast their check and then just throw out whatever acting performance they're going to throw out, and they don't care. And uh, Like Russ Tamblin did in, um, uh, was it, War of the Gargantuas? <laughs> right, um, And that right. kind of thing. And then he regrets it later on when it becomes, because you know, back then nobody ever thought they were going to have these decades-long legs or these films they did in Japan were ever going to be seen in America. And then they, then they regret not putting a better performance out there. But then you had Lon Chaney Jr. doing a very good performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, going for all that stuff and, and other actors, you know, putting their best that they can out there. And, uh, and that's the thing we have to treasure. Just enjoy those moments because that's what they are moments to enjoy. So the reason I wanted to give Steve an opportunity to talk about Dracula versus Frankenstein is that over the years, I have made commitments to both Steves about talking about Dracula versus Frankenstein. And so I wanted to make sure that, that Steve Turek had a chance to say something. And I'm going to commit to you right now, listeners, and to you, Steve. Flashback February 2021, I want you on to talk about Dracula versus Frankenstein in depth. You down? Oh, you know I'm down for it. All right, man. Listeners, if you need more Steve, check him out over, Steve Turek, that is, check him out over at the Diecast Movie Reviews Podcast. What's the link, sir? Diecast Movie Review Podcast is on um, Facebook. That's what the title says there. You can also email us at diecastmoviereviewpodcast at gmail.com. And if you just start typing in on Apple Podcasts, Diecast Movie Review, it'll pop right up or Spotify, pretty much all the major the distributors. And there's a link to it in the permalinks section of monsterkidradio.net. Steve, we'll have you back on next week, and we'll see who wins. I, I'm really hoping that uh, our, our picks come out on top. But you know what, listeners? I'm more interested in hearing what you guys have to say. Derek and I have been right 50% of the time, which means at least one of them will make it. This very well may be the first matchup, the first round in all of our times of doing this this year and last year, where Steve and I are on the exact same page. So... Yeah, I don't know what that means, but we'll find out. Vote, vote, vote. Hi, this is Jeff Owens from the Classic Horrors Club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from kccinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. We'd like to invite you to attend the next monthly meeting of the Classic Horrors Club on the Phantom Podcast Network. We think you'll enjoy our show, but don't take our word for it. Let's ask some of our listeners what they think. Excuse me, sir. What did you say after listening to the Classic Chorus Club podcast? I'll never smile again. Wow, that's a little mean. How about you, sir? Would you recommend the Classic Chorus Club podcast? It would be very dangerous, not only for you, but for others. Well, we do talk about classic horror, from silent screen to Halloween and everything scary in between, but I don't think I'd call it dangerous. I think that's enough from our listeners. 
I've always said we have the uh, best fans. Why don't you give us a try yourselves? We meet once a month during the Classic Horror Club podcast on the Phantom Podcast Network, found at downrightcreepy.com or at classichorrors.club. Oh, wait, here's one more listener walking his pet. What do you think of the Classic Horrors Club podcast? There's the stink of hell on this train. Even the dog knows it. See the top double thrill, double chill motion picture program of the year. Curse of the Werewolf in color. The harrowing story of the legendary half-man, half-wolf. His evil beast blood demanded he kill, kill, kill. Plus, the shadow of the cat. A shocking adventure into murder and psychotic fear. Two terrifying hits together. Don't miss them. In the diabolical minds of the madman of Bandorus was created the most incredible plot ever conceived to conquer the world. Why did you bring us here, really? In a matter of hours, we will begin the conquest of the world. Phil Day, undercover agent, trapped in the trap he set for the madman of Mandoras. <laughs> Professor Coleman, American scientist, believed his staggering discovery to be a secret. Up to now, anthropine was the only known antidote. The loss or destruction of the formula for this antidote would mean complete annihilation of the world. But he did not reckon with a group of evil men, men who will permit nothing to stop their rule of the world. What unknown force has been created to conquer the world? And which of the madmen pushed the panic button? Somebody's got to get Vorak. I guess it's up to me, Casey. or in this case written into the Monster Kid Radio feedback section hotline uh, portion of the show this is where we do feedback now and I received an email from listener of the show Martin R Martin sent me a link now here's a fun video for shut-ins and it's a link to a YouTube video from the lair of Voltaire yeah the musician Voltaire and you can find him on YouTube under youtube.com slash Voltaire music page or look up the Lair of Voltaire on YouTube or follow the link in the show notes because I'll make sure there is a link in the show notes to this video that Martin mentioned. The video is titled Five Monster-Themed Restaurants to Die For. This is part of Voltaire's gothic homemaking series on YouTube and I actually already watched this video when it first popped up on my YouTube subscription page because I already subscribed to his channel. But I appreciate Martin emailing me because it reminds me to make sure listeners know about it. Basically what he's doing is he's going to different restaurants around the world. Let's celebrate the classic monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the mummy and creature from the black lagoon all get represented here. And literally he goes around the world, New York, Japan, just all over the place. 
And he mentions a restaurant right here in Portland. Go check out the video. It's about 25 minutes long, but it moves pretty quickly. And I think you'll enjoy it. And you know what? When you do watch it, leave him a comment that you heard about the video here on Monster Kid Radio. Martin, thanks for sending me a link to that. You're the man. And if you want to be the man and send in some feedback to Monster Kid Radio, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. I wonder if I should reach out to Voltaire and see if I can get him on the show. Hmm. New in concept, Sinbad's Adventures. Bold in adventure, Sinbad's feats of heroism. Mighty in conquest, Sinbad's devastating power. The Lost World of Sinbad. See, Reign of the Flaming Death turned the sky into a fiery inferno. The Giant of Armorcon, whose strength is equal to 1,000 men. The Whip Dance of the Virgins in exotic orgies of evil. See, The Lost World of Sinbad. In Colorscope, amazing beyond belief. Now, creatures from the grave battle each other to see who or what will be left. See all the remains in War of the Undead. A super triple shock treat starring your favorite ghastly ghouls. See the Prince of Vampires fight the King of Monsters in Dracula vs. Frankenstein. Then watch the maddest werewolf alive slash vampires to pieces in Frankenstein's bloody terror. And of course, see vampires slaughter savage cavemen in horror of the blood monsters. It's triple terror, three times the thrills, torments, and tortures as bloodthirsty demons meet in the massacre of the century. Don't miss the greatest triple shocker of all. It's Dracula versus Frankenstein. Frankenstein's bloody terror and horror of the blood monsters all in one super show. It's war, war of the undead in blood-drenched color. Rated PG. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror. Frankenstein, unleashed to conquer all, defying the force of armies, the might of navies, and the fury of jets. Frankenstein conquers the world. See Frankenstein Conquers the World, starring Nick Adams and Frankenstein, a 100-foot monster bigger than the giant screen, in color scope from American International Pictures. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's movie, the infamous Dracula vs. Frankenstein, had a special place in the heart of famous monsters. Let's see why. The film was first mentioned in FM 80 from October of 1970. In the preview article, Future Fantastic Film Marvels, we see four pictures from the film, including one with Dracula and Frankenstein's monster holding copies of Famous Monsters, while editor Forrest J. Ackerman looks on. In these pictures, the film is captioned with the title Blood of Frankenstein, though the title of Dracula vs. Frankenstein is mentioned in a list of upcoming films including I Am Legend, Omega Man, Vampire Lovers, and Count Yorga Vampire, among 80 other titles, some that were probably never made and others that are today considered classics. Later on in the same issue, Blood of Frankenstein is given a closer look together with the film Horror of the Blood Monsters, to share an article that is six pages long and includes five pictures from Dracula vs. Frankenstein. It begins in pun-filled glory typical of famous monsters. Theaters playing the latest monsterific duo of horror picks will be in the red, but literally. While the box office turns green with lettuce, the screen runs red with ketchup. Or is it? 
see Blood of Frankenstein and Horror of the Blood Monsters and decide for yourself whether you're seeing a mere motion picture or horrible reality. The article continues with a look at Horror of the Blood Monsters, which, like Dracula vs. Frankenstein, was directed by schlock autor Al Adamson. Next is a look at our feature film. The other feature, Blood of Frankenstein, is in color, reunites Lon Chaney Jr. and J. Carroll Nash, who made horror history in 1944 in House of Frankenstein, and was co-authored by none less than Sam Sherman, one-time co-editor of our companion magazine, Screen Thrills. The picture also returns to the screen Angelo Rosito, the famous midget whose presence has added menace to many a great terror film of the past, and introduces Sandor Borkov as Count Dracula, and John Bloom, an actual seven-footer, as Frankenstein's monster. Forrest J. Ackerman, who was technical advisor on the film, also plays a cameo role as a scientist who has the misfortune to run into the monster one midnight. A brief synopsis continues, which refrains from spoiling the end of the picture, but does have this detailed look at Foray's cameo. A scientist, Forrest Ackerman, who had worked on revivification of the Frankenstein monster years earlier, is alone in his car late one night, when the Prince of Darkness mysteriously materializes at his side. Dr. Beaumont is understandably shocked. He babbles, who, who are you? The pale, thin creature with the pointed black beard and hungry, beady eyes replies menacingly, I am known as the Count of Darkness, the Lord of the Manor of Carpathia. I am. Eyes widening in horrified comprehension, Dr. Beaumont completes his description. Dracula. More nervous than ever, he practically trips over his own tongue as he blurts out, I'll tell you what you want to know. I can be of great assistance to you. The monster's body is almost indestructible, but his heart, if his heart is destroyed at high temperatures, as Beaumont dares look directly at Dracula, he becomes hypnotized by the vampire stare. Dracula directs him to drive to where his dread destiny waits him in the form of the Frankenstein monster. Screaming and writhing futilely, Dr. Beaumont is crushed to death in the incredibly powerful arms of the towering 7 foot 7 inch cadaver of destruction. The article concludes with this look at one of its famous stars. We got an advance peek at the press book on Blood of Frankenstein, and courtesy of Sam Sherman, are permitted to pre-print this selection on one of the last of the greats who plays Groton. Don't call me Lon Chaney Jr., growls Lon Chaney Jr., currently starring in Blood of Frankenstein. Don't you think it's ridiculous for a man who's a grandfather several times over? Now Lon Chaney Jr., uh, Chaney, the younger, brings to the screen a powerful performance reminiscent of his unforgettable role as the dumb brute Lenny of, of Mice and Men, as he portrays a great hulking creature more brawn than brain in Blood of Frankenstein. Bringing thrills to the screen since 1932, today's Lon Chaney has rarely appeared with more chilling effect than as Groton in this modern monster movie where the undying monster meets the undead vampire. Is that all we see of this not-so-classic film in FM? Of course not! Nine issues later, on the cover of issue 89 from March of 1972, Xandar Vorkov's Dracula graces the cover. Inside is a Dracula vs. Frankenstein film book, so you can relive all the thrills and chills in a literary fashion. It is eight pages long and features 11 photos, including five from Forey's cameo and death scene. Even though this article came out 17 months after the preview, it appears the film is on the verge of being released. 
A new and maniacal movie is coming to your local movie theater soon from Independent International Pictures, Dracula vs. Frankenstein. This is the film that was originally announced to FM readers under the production title of Blood of Frankenstein. It's packed full of familiar faces and fiendish fright. Seventeen months later, Adamson really took his time to make sure his masterpiece was perfect. After yet another more detailed synopsis, the article concludes with this encouragement to see this film. Dracula vs. Frankenstein is a must-see for FM readers and it is packed full of unusual horror oddities. Editor Forey Ackerman, who was also technical consultant to the production, appears in the film as Dr. Beaumont and is the new Frankenstein monster's first victim. Victimized and frightened by Dr. Frankenstein's horror creations are beautiful Regina Carroll and Hollywood veterans Russ Tamblin, Jim Davis, and Anthony Isley. And in the mad Frankenstein's lab itself, seen for the first time in color by Deluxe, are some of the original high-voltage sparking machines used in the original Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein, all the creation of electronic wizard Ken Strickfaden. Adding to the atmosphere is a chilling old-time style music score by William Lava, famed for his Great Republic serial music and music for Universal's Creature from the Black Lagoon series. Pick your choice for winner now. The contestants are deathly cold and can't warm up for their main event. Dracula vs. Frankenstein is a fight of fright. On a personal note, thanks to the book Shock It To Me, Golden Ghouls of the Golden Gate by Michael Monahan, I can tell you that Saturday, May 18th of 1974, 10-year-old Kenny watched Dracula vs. Frankenstein at 9.30 p.m. on Bob Wilkins' Creature Features. I have memories of the time that have never left me, like a horrifying nightmare you want to forget. Not because I was scared of the monsters, though, but because I had a true taste of how bad a movie can be. I have never forgot. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We'll have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. The thoughts and opinions of Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and opinions of Derek M. Cook, Monster Kid Radio LLC, or anybody who truly appreciates good movie. <laughs> Kenny would say that with a straight face. Oh, man. Charlton Heston is the Omega Man. The Omega Man. More than fantasy. Maybe the future. Rated GP. Hello, everyone. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for Cast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashi. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain? And I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yeah. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. <laughs> yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love 
werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks like yeah. melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. How of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Or Arises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. Coming soon to this theater, a ghastly, ghoulish, and totally incredible motion picture. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I don't really have a clever way to start this, other than I know that my guest this week and I are going to talk about a movie that I absolutely love, and Rod Barnett doesn't love nearly as much as we do. <laughs> Stephen D. Sullivan, how you doing, man? I am doing really well. And I got to say that I am uh, kind of a recent convert to enjoying this film. But 
for anyone that loves Manos as much as I do, this shouldn't be a really hard ask in a lot of ways. No, not at all. Uh, this is just something magical. I bring up the whole Rod Barnett thing because over the years, Rod is kind of kind of joshed with me a little bit about some of the movies that I absolutely love that he questions. One of them is this film, Dracula versus Frankenstein. I can't even say it without giggling because this movie gives me so much pleasure and so much joy. It's got a DIY aesthetic that is sometimes more obvious than it probably needs to be, but I love it, man. I just I dig this film. It does, and I, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying I love it, but every time I watch it, I actually like it more than the previous time, and something that bugged me the previous time I saw it doesn't bug me anymore. This time it was the bikers, you know, and like all my previous versions, I'm like, oh, why are the bikers in this? That's kind of dopey. And yeah, it, it's kind of dopey. <laughs> it is. But it doesn't matter because it's because <laughs> somehow Al Adamson and company have managed to pull together what seems like maybe it was started as three separate movies into one yeah, kind of pretty cool thing. You're not far off there, Steve. And, and I've got some information about this film. In fact, I recently wrote about this movie for an upcoming magazine. And as I said, the last time I had Steve on a couple weeks ago with Josh and Chris, I'm not really ready to say what magazine it is because they haven't paid me yet. But I did recently <laughs> write a pretty in-depth article about this film for uh, this particular magazine. So I've got some background, some history here that I'll share here in a second, but there's a couple things that we want to do first. Steve, what's new in your world, man? What's new in my world? The, the most exciting thing since we last talked is I have actually gotten your friend of mine, Mark Maddox, to agree to do a cover painting for Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. That's so cool oh, that I can hardly even yeah. stand it. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And it also overcomes a roadblock that has actually been holding up turning Dr. Cushing into a book for a good long while. As you probably know, and some people may know, I often do the covers for my own books. But this one, it just didn't feel right to me. I didn't feel like I had quite the right skill set. I didn't feel like I had quite the right 3D assets or quite the right amount of experience to really pull it off the way I'd hoped. So I was thinking I was going to have to fall back on that position after having a, a number of false starts with other artists on the cover. But fortunately, uh, my financial position is a little better than when I first talked to Mark about this. And when I talked to him about it again, he was still really interested in doing it. And I could actually pay the price that he, he wanted for this. Because as you just mentioned about your magazine article, nothing's real until you get paid for it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've actually paid Mark now and I'm on the schedule. And God willing and circumstances willing, that may mean that the book will be out in time for Monster Bash. That's oh, kind of my goal right now. That would be amazing. And Mark Maddox, Rondo Award-winning artist, he is just knocking it out of the part. His artwork can be seen on the covers of many Scream or Shout Factory releases. I mean, this guy is good. So to have him on the cover of a really good story is just, man, it's like peanut butter and jelly, man. Right. And and big shout out to my wife who, you know, we were uh, winding down the day the other day and I was talking about Dr. Cushing and, and my problem with the, the cover and still needing to do the cover. And, and uh, God love her, Kiff said, well, why don't you just get Mark to do it? 
<laughs> it was like, can we afford getting Mark to do it? And she was like, we totally can. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I could talk to Mark about this again. And uh, I talked to him about it. He said, yes. So I'm super stoked about that. I'm hoping by the time people hear this, I'm not sure when you're going to release it, that I'll also have finished up the role-playing game supplement for Tournament of Death 4, which is the last thing I need to get to backers of my Kickstarter. Whether that will be released to the general public at some point, I am not sure. It'll depend somewhat on how much time I have and how much demand there is and that kind of thing. But with Cushing moving forward and that being finished off, I'm I'm pretty psyched, and that means I can figure out whether the next thing I next new original project I do, whether I'm going to do more Frost Arrow or Daikaiju Attack or something else completely different. And I'll be interested in, in hearing what uh, my fans and my, my Patreon supporters are interested in having me do next, as it were. Oh, and there's also the the monster role playing game that's been on the back burner for like over a year now uh, that I. It was very close to having the systems all worked out for. So there's stuff that can happen now that these things that kind of had been on my plate for a while are going to be uh, moving forward and clearing off. So very excited about all of that. That's exciting. Uh, you know, the Mark Maddox stuff, you and I were chatting uh, privately on Facebook, and I could tell you were excited. I'm excited. I think listeners will be excited to see what he comes up with. And to have it ready for Monster Bash, fingers and tentacles crossed, man. Yep. A lot of things that uh, a lot of people want to have ready for Monster Bash. I've got a couple things in the works. We got your book coming up, maybe even another deck of classic five cards. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, so fingers crossed on that. Fingers also crossed that I'm negotiating to maybe do some writing on a, an existing property, too. But oh, you told me about that. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit. I can't even say what it is yet. Right? Which is, it's, it's like you with the book. <laughs> until something is signed, until someone gets some money, I can't really say more about it. But it's, it's very exciting, and I think all Monster Kids will be kind of thrilled if it happens. Uh, so cross your fingers for that unnamed project as well, too. But a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. And uh, I'm also just, anytime you get to finish something you've been working on for a long time, there's an amazing amount of both relief and a feeling of accomplishment. And so I can see those things now. You know, it's like they're almost within my grasp. Hopefully everyone will get to enjoy both of those and, and new cool things very, very soon. Right on. Well, I said there are a couple things that we need to do. This was one of them. The other one is something that we didn't do when I had you and Josh and Chris on because I ran out of time. And that's <laughs> playing a round of everybody's favorite game. Okay, well, my favorite game. The Classic Five here on Monster Kid Radio. Cool. Are you going to play the little sting that you excerpted from one of my previous things where I sing that, sort of sing that <laughs> I'm going to drop it in right here. The Classic Five! So for people who don't know, the Classic Five is a card game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. I try to do it every single time, unless I forget or run out of time. It's a deck of cards. Each card has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get Monster Kids talking or to keep them talking. Steve, are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? All right. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Card number one. Which movie do you prefer? Cat people or Curse of the Cat People? Cat people. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the cat people. Women whose kiss means death. Whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey.
have been followed by something that was not human, something that attempted to take my life. I believe that was the cat form of Irena. Why should she wish to harm you? Because I'm in love with her husband. It's shut now. Just a minute ago, it was open. Cat People's one of my favorite noir-style monster movies. When I was a kid, I wanted to see more of the monster in Cat People, but as an adult, it's just perfect the way it is. Though I do like the Natasha Kinski Cat People as well, but the, the classic one, the classic Luton one, it's hard to beat. A Curse of the Cat People is really cool, and I, I probably need to rewatch it because I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's much more kind of a child's fantasy. And, you know, call me jaded, but I prefer the more adult original Cat People, which has just all sorts of really cool subtext in it. Uh, and even as a kid, I liked it. Though, as I said, at that point, I was in the, I want to see the monsters phase. Gotcha. All right. Card number two. Ooh, what classic monster movie would you show as part of a double feature with The Last Man on Earth? Ooh, The Last Man on Earth. Uh, classic, let me see. See, um, even though this probably Richard Matheson thing just popped into my head, and I'm not sure this is what I'd go with if I had more time to think about it, but The Incredible Shrinking Man would make a, a kind of interesting double feature with that. You know, Return of the Vampire with Lugosi would also be really cool. So if I was feeling like Matheson, I'd go with Shrinking Man. Because uh, Matheson wrote both those stories. And if I was feeling in the vampire mood, maybe Return of the Vampire might be fun. Although, you know, you can also go with uh, Adam Age Vampire or what's the modern vampire one that was um, – I think it's just the vampire. He's not really a vampire, but he's a scientist that turns himself into a vampire. Right, accidentally. Right. All of those would be really good. <laughs> really good double features. And that's without even touching on the idea of maybe doing a Vincent Price double feature because of it. So lots of possibilities. You got any ideas on that one? You know, my brain immediately went to, and, and hear me out, War of the Worlds. Oh. And, and the reason for that is because of something that Dominique Lamsey said years ago on the show. Well, yeah, these things has been a couple of years now where she compared War of the Worlds to a zombie film. That is basically a zombie movie. <laughs> And that's always stuck with me when she said that. And considering what Last Man on Earth is, I think thematically you could see some links there. So maybe yeah, that'd they're be both interesting. kind of apocalypse yeah. movies. So yeah, yeah, you can see that. Sure, sure, cool. I'd probably show War of the Worlds first, and then yeah. go to Last Man on Earth. Yeah, no, I think that'd be fun. Either way, I want to see Last Man on Earth on the big screen now. So. That'd be cool, you know, and it's like, I'm pretty sure I have, because I'm one of this lucky generation that actually got to see a lot of these classic films when there were revival movie houses that were always showing old films. Yeah, I wish those were still around, but with, you know, with everything on streaming and DVD, people just don't seem to be as interested as they used to be in going to see Casablanca or Frankenstein on the big screen. I'm pretty sure it's been shown at the Hollywood at Weird Wednesday, because uh, it's public domain, so it didn't cost them anything to bring in. But uh, There you know. go, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I may have seen it in 35, but but I've seen so many Ooh. things in 35, it's hard to tell. <laughs> oh, man, I bet that would look amazing in 35. You know what? This is what the Classic Five is about. We just start talking about it. Yeah, anyway. There we go. <laughs> all right, back on track. Card number three. And these are all new questions, by the way. So, Steve, you're my guinea pig here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What other classic monster type 
would you like to have seen Hammer Films tackle? Ooh, I, you know, the easy answer to that is I would have liked to have seen them do more Wolfman movies, more okay. movies. But they did one. Mm-hmm. So a new monster type, the obvious idea is the, the creature from the Black Lagoon kind of type of monster, a Gilman monster. But they also did the reptile, which is almost in that same kind of genre. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Sure, if, whether either of my first two popped into my head choices count or not. You know, and they did some great science fiction stuff with their Quatermass movies. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I would have liked to have seen a Hammer kaiju film, a Hammer giant monster film. Although, you know, I mean, Gorgo was made in England, so maybe maybe Hammer could have done a, a really kind of cool giant monster film that would have been better than, oh, say, Conga. <laughs> <laughs> which which I enjoy, but which has uh, got more than a few goofy elements, and it's got a lot of you know, it's got a lot of the Amicus Hammer kind of people in it. So I think easiest would be to go for for the uh, the Gilman type of thing and really do a, a a really interesting take on on lizard people beyond the reptile. Okay, well, to comment on something that you said just a second ago, at one point. In 79, Hammer and Toho did talk about doing Nessie together as a co-production. It would have been about the Loch Ness Monster, I assume. Right, right. You know, and if we're talking about things unproduced that they were uh, they were talking about, the Pteranodons versus Zeppelins one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, to- I totally want to see that film. Yeah. Totally want to see that film. And I, oh, you yeah. know, it's a film that. You know, Joshua Kennedy or Christopher Mim or somebody, you guys could make that today. And I, I'm there, man. I just, <laughs> it sounds good. It's, you know, that's like one of those great unmade films like uh, Willis O'Brien's War Eagles. It's just, oh, you, you hear the talk about, yeah, it's about Romans riding eagles in a land full of dinosaurs. And it's like, oh my God, who doesn't want to see this film? <laughs> right. With Willis O'Brien stop motion, sign me up. Yeah. Exactly. I'm in. I'm in. So, yeah, so I'm going for kind of a Gilman feel okay. for Hammer. Otherwise, you know, or more of more the reptile, more werewolf. Those would be great. But uh, unmade, it's the Zeppelins versus Pteranodons or whatever they were calling that film. I sure. want that film. <laughs> I want that <laughs> film bad. All right, card number four. What movie could have used Vincent Price to make it just a little better? Oh, Vincent Price is good and like so many things and he's in so many things what could have made him better if we could add vincent price in to one of the universal house of frankenstein house of dracula films somehow oh, what role would he, he play he could be the invisible man obviously <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be fun. I think that would be cool. I don't know if we need him because I do love both of those films on their own. Weirdly, what just popped into my head is The Lost Continent Atlantis, which is oh. a hammer film that uh, was based on a Dennis Wheatley story that I haven't yeah. read. And there's even like parts of the. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, it's about a ship that's going across the Atlantic that gets caught in the Sargasso Sea, and the people aboard the ship get kind of taken captive by a group of religious 
fanatics that sailing across the sea got stranded there hundreds of years ago. And it seems to me Vincent Price would have been really good in the role of one of the I mucky mucks in that band of, of lost people from the Middle Ages. That would have given – it's an okay film, but I think Vincent Price really could have amped it up another another level. And Vincent wasn't in any Hammer films, was he? No, he wasn't. That's And that's my go-to. There's a card in the deck that uh, is basically – who didn't appear in a Hammer film that you wish they did? And Vincent Price is almost my always my go-to answer. Right. <laughs> Vincent Price or Barbara Steele, right? One of those two. Right. Uh, as far as The Lost Continent goes, that was one of the final or one of the last movies 1951 Down Place did before we went on hiatus a few years ago. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to that episode where Scott and I talked about that. It's a fun little movie. It's got some really cool set pieces and sequences. And yeah, Vincent Price would be awesome in that. Yeah, no, he would he would totally elevate it to a, a new level. I think it's fun, but I think with Price it would be more fun. It'd be interesting to read the book because I've read a number of the, the Wheatley Supernatural Devil books now, and the books are almost always more James Bond-like than the films end up being. So they're kind of more action-y oriented and more kind of, you know, like uh, man against the world stuff. And I'm at some point I have happily, all these have been released on Kindle and uh, I can take the time to read the lost continent at some point and see, see how different it is from what ended up on the screen. I think it'll, it'll probably be kind of fascinating. I bet it's going to read more like a, a Dirk pit adventure or something like that. Raise the Titanic. So there you go. You know, you uh, mentioned house of Dracula. And as soon as you said that nothing against Onslow Stevens, I think he's great in that film, but how interesting would it have been to have that character, the, the doctor character played by price in that? Yeah, that uh, that sprang into my head too, and then I thought, oh, that was kind of my like, yeah, I'd replace the one with the other. But then I thought, that's so unfair to the guy that's actually playing that character. Is that Doctor Neiman? No, uh, no, Neiman's from uh, the previ- previous yeah, film. Uh, Doctor Edelman. Edelman, Edelman, yeah. Price would have been really kind of brought a different feel to that, and it would have been a lot of fun. Price would have made an interesting Dracula, maybe too. Sadly, we don't get to have either of those things, any of those things. But it's nice to think about. Sure. All right, final card. This is uh, from the Deep Cut deck, our, our expansion, which will be available here soon. What's your favorite Richard Carlson film? Are we not counting Creature? <laughs> you, you can if you want. Uh, you can if you want. But I know there are people that aren't as obsessed about that movie as we are. So. <laughs> I mean, clearly, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> if, you, if you had to pick one other than Creature, though, what would you go Oh, with? That's, that's a good question, because, you know, as I think I've said to you before, because Richard Carlson and Richard Denning are both in Creature, I always confuse the two. One of them, and I think it's, is it Carlson that's in Black Scorpion, or is that Denning? Nope, that's Denning. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Denning is uh, Black Scorpion, Carlson is Magnetic Monster, and Guanji. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, now you and you just spoon-fed me two that I really, really like. Of those two, I'm going to have to go with Guanji, though. Even if we looked over his entire filmography, I could not find a film that I like better than any given Harryhausen film, except The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Sure. So, yeah, Valley of Guanji, where he's uh, he's one of the old hand cowboys there to he doesn't entirely mess things up he's uh one of those uh the cowboys that's 
he's kind of on the wrong side for a while, but he's not as bad as the others. But he probably is one of the ones that gets everyone killed by thinking that bringing the the Allosaurus into civilization and displaying it like Kong would be a good idea. And he and James Franciscus and the company, Gila Golan, they're all terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> it's never a good idea. <laughs> never a good idea to put the active killer dinosaurs on display. I mean, right? Jurassic Park, right? It doesn't work. Uh, Carlson, I just, I love Carlson, and I've been watching a lot of uh, Carlson's non-genre work. I mean, he's just good. He's just good. He's he's sturdy. He, uh, which is probably a weird way to describe an actor, but he's a sturdy, you know, uh, workman. He's a I just, solid leading man. Yeah, he really character. is. He's got the look. He's got the jaw. He's got the cadence, the delivery. You know, like I said, I've been watching some non-genre stuff, but his genre work, I mean. Right. Well, I'd forgotten he was in It Came From Outer Space. I too. was about to say that. <laughs> it Came From Outer and, Space. And, and the Ghost Breakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, hold that ghost. Uh, have you seen The Maze? I have. I have seen The Maze. I, I love The Maze. The Maze is really cool. I haven't watched it in ages. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking I have it off of TCM, maybe. But is that that's out on actual DVD or Blu-ray now, It is right? now. Yeah, because it is now. It, and it's in 3D, which, you know, I've got bad eyes, so 3D sadly doesn't work for, for me as well as it, it used to. But uh, it turns out to be, it doesn't seem to be, but it turns out to be a fairly Lovecraftian film. Right. And, uh, yeah, he did a lot of good work. Although I heard he was kind of a pain in the butt to work with somewhere. Yeah, I, I get the impression. I, I've read a few places that he wasn't really a big fan of the genre stuff, that he was more of a serious actor. No, but, it's you know. always too bad when you get people that are turning in really good work and genre stuff and they poo-poo it. It's like, I, I got I got to tell you, man, I, I don't get this. You know, well, if it's family drama, that's really important. But if it's a creature from Black Lagoon, well, that's just you know, popcorn or whatever. It's like, I think I've learned more from monster movies than I have from family dramas <laughs> speaking personally. Oh man. So that was the classic five. What do you think, man? You feeling good? Warmed up? Ready to go? Yeah, I had a great time. I, I always enjoy it. Although there's always one that catches me a little bit off guard. Like the, the Carlson Denning thing It's like someday I'll remember which of these guys is which, you know, and that's not, nothing but, against Denning. I mean, I was talking about Carlson's non-genre stuff. I've been watching some non-genre Denning as well. And man, he's just good too. I love these guys. No, he's really good. I love Denning. <laughs> I think he's, he's a, he's a terrific actor. Wasn't he married to someone really interesting too? Evelyn anchors. There you go. That's it. Yep. Yeah. 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 Lucky him. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and by all reports, he's a, he was a good guy. <laughs> yeah. He was, a, he was a, a real, a real peach of a gentleman. So, yep. You know, one of the one of the great things about art is you get to enjoy the art, even if the people behind it are maybe not people you'd hang out with at a cocktail party or, or a rave or whatever. So, <laughs> so you know, Richard Carlson, Richard Denning, they both did great films, great genre films. So we get to enjoy them, which is there awesome. And we get to enjoy this 1971 masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Monster oh, piece, says Monster as piece. Corey Ackerman might have said. Hey, you know, and that's fitting since Ackerman's got a cameo in this. And because of that cameo, the movie got some pretty good coverage in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Maybe undeservedly so, but... <laughs> it did not get pretty good coverage. It got a cover article <laughs> with a photo of Dracula 
Zandor, whatever whatever his fake name is, <laughs> who I really like, Zandor Vorkov. <laughs> it's a cover article. I got it during my subscription to Famous Monsters when I was a kid. Read it hot off the presses, and I wanted to see this film so bad. And I think that the fact that the article made it sound way more polished than it is, is probably one of the reasons I disliked this film for so long. Because when you finally see it, it's like, this is not nearly as much fun as the article made it sound like it was going to be. Even though the article, which I, because you can find a lot of issues of famous monsters on the uh, archive.org, I actually was able to read the article uh, a night or two ago and check it out. And like It pretty much lays out the entire plot of the movie. Which is kind of cool. And I'm sure Kenny will talk about that in his Famous Monsters of Filmland segment. I know, and I'm totally stoked to, to hear that. The whole episode is edited together, and, and we hear that before, probably before you and I are talking about it. More than likely. Yeah, more than likely. Yeah, so that's going to be awesome. Anyway, it's it's worth uh, worth checking out. And yeah, it got big play in Famous Monsters, and that's where I first heard of it. And that's the only place I knew of it from for many years because you got to remember this is the days before video on demand the days before even vhs or betamax if you miss this in the theater more likely the (laughs) drive-in you were not going to see it unless you caught it's late night on some uhf channel or something which is probably the first way i saw it you know it's I mentioned this DIY aesthetic, and I think part of the reason why I like this movie isn't necessarily because the movie is quote-unquote good. It takes me out of that either. I believe in it can be objectively a bad film that I enjoy, Yeah, but I I don't think that's so bad it's good. I, I kind of reject that. Yeah, me too. That kind of frame for things now because it's it's either something I enjoy or it's something I don't enjoy, and it doesn't matter how good a film is objectively, you know, if you can, you know, put it together with Casablanca and stuff, if you don't really like the film. Every time I watch it, I think I enjoy it a little more, and I'm more willing to forgive its failings. And and I have to say, you know, as I've, as I've grown older, and uh, I did hit 60 last year, which is crazy for a, a guy that's really only 23, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown to appreciate some things that I didn't appreciate when I was, you know, say my son's age in the middle 20s. And one of them is European cinema. And one of the things you have to get over with European cinema is wanting the stories that they tell in the genre, in horror especially, to have the same kind of coherent plotting that you get in the Universal or Hammer classic. Because that's just not what they're about. What they're about is cool scenes and conveying some idea, usually a mood or a feeling that is in the filmmaker's head. And if you can get past wanting everything to be a really good linear story, then suddenly things like Suspiria or things like uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Women or any number of Nashi films, suddenly you start to appreciate them for what they're, they are and what they're attempting. They live by night. They hide in the dark and rise from the shadows. They can never feel the warmth of living human blood in their veins. Their bodies are cold and dead. Dracula versus Frankenstein. A doctor who serves the dead. A dead man. 
controls the doctor and the living creature horribly created from the mangled corpses of their victims. Dracula versus Frankenstein. His blood is cold, but his mind is keen. He cannot die, for he is already dead. His name is Dracula. Another lives, but his body belongs to the dead. The two will join forces, but only one will survive. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Oakmoor Cemetery is a cold, lifeless place to visit at night. Unless you're already dead. And your name is Dracula. You read that famous Monsters article. Fari plays it up as if this is the greatest thing since, to coin the cliche, since sliced bread. It sounds just amazingly cool. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and in outline, you know, it kind of is. What we ended up with, yes. How they got there, though, I find so much more fascinating. And you're probably going to talk about that a little bit, but there are a couple of things going on in the in the film. And the two most prominent ones are that uh, J. Carroll Nash is playing a pseudonym of Dr. Frankenstein, and he has a kind of dark ride, though it doesn't have a ride per se, House of Horrors in a sideshow on a pier on the Pacific Coast or wherever the devil it is. And... He's using that as a cover so that he and Lon Chaney Jr., but he's kind of a a demented, drug-addicted character of some kind, are killing and kidnapping mostly women in order to see if Dr. Frankenstein can bring them back to life in order that Dr. Frankenstein will then obtain some kind of immortality formula or something that will keep him from dying. He's in a wheelchair, so he wants to be better. And, and Lon is clearly really rough shape. There's a couple of shots in this movie where he looks just awful. And I think deliberately so. So they're doing that. But in the meantime, Dracula also wants this formula. He's dug up the Frankenstein monster and he's trying to get Dr. Frankenstein, who is called Dr. Daria or something like that, mm-hmm. which is Dr. Just Dr. Daria or Daray. Yeah. It's pronounced a couple of different ways throughout the phone. If you know why that name has been used. I have no clue. <laughs> Fill us in, because if they just call him Dr. Frank or something or Dr. Stein, it would have seemed like a much clearer connection. Anyway, um, so Dracula is has the Frankenstein monster and wants to use the Frankenstein monster and Dr. Frankenstein's knowledge in order to apparently make himself more immortal by making him immune to sunlight or something like that. So they get tangled up together in this monster match. Now that would seem like there's plenty to go on there that we could have a whole film, but then we also get a plot where One of the people that Frankenstein and his guy have killed and taken out of uh, California is the sister of a showgirl from Las Vegas who happens to be played by the director's wife. And she goes looking for her sister, gets wrapped up with hippies who drug her and uh, a kind of hip cop and a biker gang. (laughs) All while looking for her sister, who's actually involved with Frankenstein and Dracula and that whole crew. Does that make sense? You know, oh man. So, 
The movie was produced by Independent International Pictures. Now, this is an outfit run by Al Adamson and Samuel M. Sherman, and they are filmmakers who are interested in making good movies, but also making good money. And Al, he wasn't necessarily a horror fan, per se. He just liked telling stories, and these were the stories that were making money. And Independent International is responsible for movies like Horror of the Blood Monsters, Blood of Dracula's Castle, Black Samurai in 1976, which was after this movie. I mean, he made you know, some fun movies. These, again, they're not high art. You guys can probably hear sirens in the background. I don't know why. Um, but the, the biggest movie they had, or the most, I suppose, notorious movie they had, before Dracula vs. Frankenstein was Satan's Sadist. This was a biker movie that did really, really well, and they wanted to kind of tap into that vibe for a movie that they ended up calling originally Blood Freaks while they were writing it. Once the script was finished and they started making the movie, the title got changed to The Blood Seekers. They finished this film. They reviewed it with the Money Men, and they all thought it was terrible. They thought this would probably be the first movie that Independent International would take a loss on. But, you know, Adamson and Sherman, they weren't really down with that. They wanted to make some more money. So they really examined the movie to see what they could do to, quote unquote, fix it. Now, at this point, there is no Dracula. There is no Frankenstein. It is kind of a biker movie. There's a lot more stuff with the biker with Rico played by Russ Tamblin. A lot more content there. There is a moment in the film where Dr. Dorea is being addressed by somebody and the conversation has something along the lines of Dr. Drea, if that's your real name. And that caught with Adamson and he thought, well, what name is really his name? If that's not his real name, how about Frankenstein? Uh. <laughs> and then they start writing all this stuff with Dracula and Frankenstein and trying to find a way to make it all fit. They did have to bring J. Carol Nash back to shoot more material with Dracula because at this point the movie's done. Right? They, they don't have Nash on set anymore. They don't have anybody there anymore. Regina Carroll, they can bring back in because she's married to the director. And she's like a Hollywood showgirl type in, in real life, I think. Yeah, she was a Vegas showgirl. That was her act. When you watch the movie and see her song number, that's one that she did on stage all the time. That was probably the only footage that remains of her act. And it clearly is because it is the most rehearsed and the slickest thing in the entire movie. And we, when I first watched it, I was like, where did this come from? But then the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, clearly this was her Vegas act yeah. that they decided to film. So they have five or ten more minutes in this movie Yep, introducing, supposedly introducing this character. And the two guys she's on stage with were from her act as well. I mean, this this is the only footage that exists now of what she used to do in Vegas. Had I not read a little bit about her i would have thought oh this is clearly one of these strippers that the director finds and says oh we could do a whole movie and she's beautiful and let's put her in the movie but actually she was married to al and so she's in just a ton of his movies <laughs> and she's got some talent she does I mean, her vegas show is a sexist and of the time but it's, it is the most polished thing in this entire movie because it's slick. They know how to sing. They know how to move. They're performing on, just on a stage, and it, it's terrific. 
Yeah. It's a real slice of life from the times. And she loved making movies with Al and Sam. I mean, she was part of that troupe. She was there. She was more conservative in real life than she portrayed on screen. You never see nudity with her, although you get really close. You get teased a little bit, which is something that Independent International was good at, was teasing. And that song number is how they justified re-releasing this movie several years later and calling it a musical. <laughs> This scene is also where you get to see Al Adamson in a cameo role. He liked to have these little cameos because he liked what Hitchcock did. So he's actually a man in the audience, smiling, watching the watching it. He appears later in the film too, and and I'll tell you about that here in a little bit. So they ended up starting with one movie, renamed it, was going to release it, thought it was going to be a bomb, reworked it, added Dracula and Frankenstein, and then even then they weren't done. Because they hated the original ending. So they went back again (laughs) and shot a new ending on the other side of the country with another actor playing the monster (laughs) and terrible makeup for Dracula. So when you're watching the movie and you watch the opening credits, you'll see that there is somebody credited as playing the monster and somebody is credited as playing the creature. The monster is through most of the movie. Uh. The creature was somebody else that because the original guy wasn't available or whatever. So the creature is another guy. He's still Frankenstein's monster, but it's a different actor. So it's still Frankenstein's monsters. I wondered about that because I was like, is the creature the girl that got her head cut off? (laughs) Who's the creature? (laughs) Because she's brought back to life, too. And and one of the, oh, we forgot to resolve these plot points. Well, and the creatures, the the actor's name is Shelly something or other. So, yeah, I could totally see you think, you know, making that. There you go. No, that's somebody else on the East Coast that's wearing a mask. Uh, as opposed to John Bloom, who is playing the monster in California where they're shooting or wherever it is they were shooting, who is kind of wearing a mask, but most of the time the monster makeup is surgical adhesive and a whole bunch of tissue paper. This is one of the worst Frankenstein monster makeups ever. I mean, I, there's just no other way to say it than that. The the Nashi uh, assignment terror Frankenstein monster, also known as Dracula versus Frankenstein, confusingly, is clearly like a guy in a Frankenstein mask. That one looks substantially better sure. than this one. And that's one of the weakest makeups in all of Paul Natchez's film history. So, yeah, this one's bad. I've heard it described as a Frankenstein monster face carved out of an apple and then put in the frunk, shrunken head machines that you used to get when you were a kid in the <laughs> 60s and 70s that would turn yep. apples yep. into shrunken heads. And it's like, Damn, that that yep. dead on. <laughs> it's it's so awful you wonder what they were thinking because even though Dracula is kind of a hippie version of Dracula, he kind of works. I I enjoy the Dracula, although I did notice watching it the other night, it's like, why did his makeup why is his makeup so terrible in the last part of this film? Play a different makeup guy. Yeah, and hearing that it was shot at a completely different place and time, probably with a different makeup artist. Well that's why. That's why he goes from looking to a really cool hippie Dracula into looking like, did they let clowns paint his makeup? (laughs) I think the way that I put it in the article that I wrote is that he goes from a halfway decent Dracula to Kabuki warrior. Yeah, there you go. And it just really is just really full on black eyes, raccoon face. It's pretty bad. It's Kabuki like makeup. And, you know, for those of you that like to pick these nits. His face is made up pasty white and stuff, but his arms still have that nice California tan and they're nice and hairy and stuff like that. It's like, why are his (laughs) hands different colors than his face, mommy? (laughs) 
<laughs> so since we're talking about Dracula, let, let's let's talk about him. Yeah, let's. Zandor Vorkov. Not his real name. <laughs> Not his real Big surprise. <laughs> but I love that name. Ackerman came up with it. So, I mean, it's totally an Ackerman creation. He came up with the stage name. Uh, his real name was Roger Engel. And he was a stockbroker on Wall Street that they ended up casting as Dracula. He did one more movie with an independent international, and that was it. He didn't do any more after that. Right, yeah, and I've seen that movie. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, though, do you? It is Brain of Blood. came out the same year. I've seen that, and that's kind of the weakest of the, the blood trilogies from the, the Philippines. Or It's not the yeah. trilogy. It's the one but, yeah. added to the trilogy as like, this is a sequel to these other three that were very successful, and it, it is not nearly as good. Now, they wanted some other people before they all ended on Roger. Uh, at one point, Adamson wanted John Carradine. Yeah. But he was too expensive. <laughs> Which blew my mind when I learned that, because my understanding was that you only had to dangle a few bucks in front of John Carradine and he'd do anything, because all the money that he uh, brought in would go to like his drama outfit, his theatrical productions and theater work. Right, and he had a, he had a big family, yeah. too, so he had a lot of kids to support. So he was approached, but again, too expensive. Some other people they talked about, but ended up landing on Roger, renamed him as Zandor Vorkov, and there you go. There's our guy. I, like I said, I think it's cool. I love the the fake name. You know, obviously, Zandor Vorkov, Boris Karloff, for he was thinking in the same kind of vein. Uh, yeah, for those of you that don't know, Boris Karloff was a stage name for William Henry Pratt. Sure, Xander Vorkov, I actually like him as Dracula. I don't even mind that they put an echo effect on his voice. There's this weird reverb. Throughout the yeah. whole thing to make him sound more threatening. I kind of dig that. Yeah, there's this reverb, and you can look at it or listen to it. He's either more threatening, or maybe that's you know the effect that his voice has. It's hypnotizing people. Yeah, who knows? Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah it's you know, as the Lord of the Undead, yeah. doesn't bother me. Doesn't bother me at all that he's the only one that's treated that way. I'm kind of, I'm kind of cool with it. And he doesn't look too bad. And he's not, he's not a terrible actor. In a way, he reminds me of uh, the Master from Manos, the Hands of Fate, <laughs> Tom Naiman. You know, and that's not to cast aspersions on either of them. And I think Naiman was was actually, you know. God love him and God love that movie. He was he was quite a good actor. He was a, a stage actor, performed with Julie Adams, performed with, you know, a number of of people that we would know. He was a theatrical guy. There is a card in the classic five who else could have or should have played Dracula. Now it's always gonna be Tom Neiman for me. He'd have been terrific in it, I think. Yeah. You know, and and people are out there listening to us and now are thinking, these two guys are crazy. Both of these films are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I love Dracula's dialogue in this. You know, he's so over the top and menacing. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite bits is after he explains to Dr. Dury or Frankenstein what's going to happen, the scene ends with him just proclaiming kind of randomly. And all those who would meddle in the destinies of Frankenstein and Dracula will see an infernal bloodbath, the likes of which has not swept the earth before. And cut. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> like okay. How can you not love that? This is so over the top and DIY, I love it. do-it-yourself filmmaking kind of oh, at, its, at its most cheesy and exploitative from a time in which that was a thing. I love yep. the, you know, everything else aside, I love the freewheeling nature 
of the films that were being made in the late 60s and the early early 70s up to the early 80s when John Carpenter's work inadvertently changed everything and suddenly everyone had to become a madman with a knife. You know, right. and that's nothing against Carpenter's work because I think pretty much all his films are brilliant. Well, I think Psycho kind of set the stage for that too. Psycho and Peeping Tom kind of started right setting the stage, and then Carpenter came in and just yeah, yeah. it's like okay, this is a good cheap way to get people into the seats, and and we don't have to do much more than. But here at this time, both in America and in Europe, where Nashi was working, it was the Wild West, man. Whatever came into your head, if you could manage to get it on the screen, chances are you could play in a drive-in somewhere at least, and people would see it, and you could make enough money to keep going. I love that kind of sure. seat of your pants way of making things. It's scrappy. It's scrappy. It I, I love it that. It is. And, you know, yeah, do I prefer, you know, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, to use the U.S. title, over something like this? Yes, because it's a little more polished. It's a little more interesting. It had a little more thought from beginning to end. But they're both from that Wild West, we're making this up as we go, because we can, sensibility that I think is is really, really cool. And in some ways missing from filmmaking ever since. But it's like at the start of any revolution in an industry, you have the chance to do things that people have never done before. And these guys, they were out there trying their best. You know, I just recently watched Dolomite is my name. Yeah, I haven't seen that. You know, and it's about Rudy Ray Moore trying to get his movie made, right? It's on Netflix. Eddie Murphy plays him wonderfully. It has nothing to do with horror or monsters or anything like that. Although he does seem obsessed with exorcisms. But anyway, uh, (laughs) it's about him and his troop making a movie by any means necessary. See your pants, like you said, very DIY. They just found a way to get it done. They had no idea what they were doing whatsoever. In fact, after they shoot the first scene of their film, Eddie Murphy as Dolomite, as Rudy Ray Moore, looks at the director and says, so when do we get to see the movie? They have no idea what's going on. They don't know what they're doing at all. Yeah, that's the very that's very Hal Warren of them. <laughs> but they still got it done. And, and I, I respond so well to that. Years ago, when I was doing the Mail Order Zombie podcast, uh, a listener, uh, Randy, sent in a, a modifier chart like you'd see in a role-playing game. And I don't remember much about it, but I do remember that regarding the ratings that I would give those films, the zombie movies on that podcast, if it was incredibly low budget or you could see the wires or whatever, it immediately got like a plus two. (laughs) (laughs) And that's true. I know some people don't like that. I love it. And you see it throughout this entire movie. And despite everything they're up against, despite J. Carol Nash kind of being grumpy and not being able to know his lines and having to read cue cards, despite Lon Chaney being on his last legs, despite all of this, it's still an entertaining movie. Yeah, and it is. The energy and the intent of it, like many European horror films from a similar era, if you can focus in on what they were trying to do and how hard they were working rather than what they achieved, it becomes endearing. Same with manas. Yeah. It becomes, yeah. at some point, you say, these were people that didn't know what they were doing, that had an idea, and that managed to get it done. And that makes it endearing. You're kind of rooting for them. You're rooting exactly. for them. You know, they, they become the underdog, and you're like, hey, you know, I really hope this works out. And you end up watching the movie and find out, in most cases, you're going to find something that you really right. enjoy. There, there's a lot to dig in this film. I mean, really, there is. You mentioned the dark ride. You know, the, the dark ride. Dr. Duria's Creature Emporium. Right. 
right? And they, they go through there, and it's not really a dark ride. Which is kind of a house of wax that is, they have so little budget that, as near as I could tell, all the wax figures are actually real people. They are. <laughs> they on set. And that's a complaint that I've heard about this movie. But then, come on, they did the same thing in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> when the guy goes in and sees the museum of all of the figures of man, they're just actors. Right. They're not real statues. So we can't hold that against Dracula versus Frankenstein without holding that against, you know, Blend of the Apes, which is a much more big and prestigious picture. Yeah, it's a five-star I mean, film it, from the same era. It's, it's right. So, you know, they are real people that are standing still or whatever, with the exception of the person in the guillotine, of course. Right. And the guillotine, you know, they foreshadow what the guillotine does quite a bit. Right. It's Chekhov's guillotine. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Cheney is seen in here and he's wearing a rubber mask, but when he takes it off, you see he doesn't look much better than the mask. Right. Uh, and the character's name is Groton or Groton. Something like and that. And he's pretty much the Igor of this film, or maybe more like Fritz, I suppose, uh, of the film. He's Daria's assistant. Yeah, something like that. He's he goes out and gets bodies. Daria's <laughs> grotesque assistant and serial killer. Pretty much. He likes his acts. You know, let's talk about a little bit about J. Carroll Nash and Lon Chaney Jr. These guys... This is their last film. These guys were, in their day, great actors. J. Carroll Nash was one of, maybe one of the best character actors of all time. Really, really good. Lon Chaney Jr., obviously one of the kings of the monsters. I don't think anyone played more different monsters than Lon Chaney Jr. other than Paul Nashie. Right, so he is beloved to every monster kid in the world for the Wolfman, if for nothing else. And the Wolfman is one of the great monsters in all of monster movie history. No doubt about that. And people are going to see this in the same way that they see Bela Lugosi in Edward's Plan 9 from Outer Space and be kind of like, oh, don't they look terrible? Da, 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 da. You know, and complain about it. Whereas I say... Thank you, Al Adamson, for giving these guys work when they had fallen on hard times at the end of their lives. Is it their best work ever? No. But both of these guys, they're still entertaining in the film. Nash is, he's given, this is a, a very low budget film, and he's given great readings, and I don't care if he's reading off cue cards. He's, he's, bringing what he can bring working out of his wheelchair which i assume was a real wheelchair that he really needed to be in you know in the same way that boris karloff at the end of his life would get up out of his wheelchair do the scene then get back into his wheelchair and breathe in some oxygen because you know otherwise he couldn't work i appreciate actually he didn't need to be in the wheelchair (laughs) <laughs> that was not he didn't need to be okay. in the wheelchair at there all. you go um they put him in the wheelchair and realized he didn't know how to operate a wheelchair so <laughs> yeah. so yeah so then <laughs> all of that making me think he must have been in the wheelchair there you go dude. that's acting yeah <laughs> not to be too team america world police but acting <laughs> yep there you go. But he's still at the end of his life. This is his last, his last show, and he's still doing a good job. And I'm really glad we get to see him and get to see Lon Chaney Jr. one more time Yeah. at the end of their careers. In the same way that I'm th- – you know, Ed Wood made dopey films, you know, but seat of the pants filmmaking. And he was given Bela Lugosi work when no one else would. That's worth something to me. 
Now, that's worth something to me for Al Adamson and Sam Sherman. Thanks, guys. Really, seriously, thanks. My takeaway regarding Cheney in this film, they didn't know he was as sick as he was when they cast him. There was no audition. They just had the opportunity to get him, and they, they signed him. He showed up on set, and they realized he's in pretty rough shape. Let's not have him talk. Right. Made him a mute. In fact, there was some voiceover recording with uh-huh. Cheney to like do like inner monologue stuff. Right. But apparently it just sounded so bad because his throat was just gone. Right. You know, Cheney had his demons. You know, he didn't treat himself very well when he came to the alcohol and he had cancer as well. And just he was not doing good. So his voice was gone. So they just cut all of that because they didn't want to embarrass the guy. Right. right? They didn't want to make Cheney look less than he was. They really did prop him up as a character that has an opportunity to show some softness. I can't help but think about his performance in Of Mice and Men every time he's holding that puppy. Yeah. Every time he's holding that puppy. I mean, that's clearly a callback to Mice and Men. Yeah. It's it's just, it's tender. Yeah, he's going out there and chopping off heads. You know, and that's, right. that's a problem. You know, that's not something people he, who don't have issues but do. But he loves this puppy. But he loves the puppy, and the puppy loved him. Right, yeah. You know, it wasn't it like... totally a, a Lenny callback. Totally. Yeah, it had to have been. It was. There's something happened here, something magical. Now, Cheney had to take a break between shots. And there are reports that sometimes he would go off set, throw up, come right back, and get back to work. I did not put this in my article, but there was one story that he went to go rest in a bathtub to kind of just cool down and relax between scenes and almost drowned because he passed out. Yeah. And, you know, he was on some pretty heavy medication dealing with cancer and just was having a tough time. But he insisted on doing his own stunts. He, here's a guy who knows he's having a rough time, but he is still giving his all right. to a movie. Right. He, he's doing his best. He's giving everything he has, despite the fact that he's throwing up between takes, that he almost drowned, that he can't move around, he can't talk. But. He is still trying so hard. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of ironic that right? J. Carroll Nash is in a wheelchair, and probably Lon Chaney needed to be in a wheelchair. Pretty much. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But wasn't, you know, and, and again, props to the filmmakers for working with these guys. Yeah, letting them do what they do best, yeah. despite everything, you know, and, and giving them one last hurrah in a movie that a lot of people deride, but you know what? Right. But if you're a fan of Cheney, you can't help but see what he's doing here. Damn, isn't that the way almost all actors that stick with acting at the end of their careers, they have movies that are kind of rough, you know? And even Betty Davis, people are like, oh, why was Betty Davis taking these roles in these exploitation films and this kind of stuff? But it's like, she's freaking Betty Davis, man. She's one of the great actors of all time. Right. And if she wants to keep acting right up to the end of her life... I say she gets to do what she wants <laughs> or whatever yeah. she can, whatever she's offered. If she wants to do it, she can do it, you know? And yeah, you're going to get a better performance out of Betty Davis at the end of her life. Maybe than you're going to get out of Lon Chaney Jr. But who cares? We get to see these guys at the end of their lives in the same way we've got to see Bela at the end of his life. Yeah. And I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm yeah. glad for that. And Karloff. Karloff you know, did those kind of Mexican co-productions. Yeah. Because he loved working. He loved right. doing what he was doing. You know, and I, if the last book I write at the end of my life is not as good as the books I'm writing now, and God God willing, that'll be a while from now. 
<laughs> I hope that people are willing to forgive that in the same way people say Agatha Christie's last books were not as good as the books she did in the prime of her life. People say that about Stephen King now gets that rap. There you go. You know, give us a break, man. We're still doing stuff you like. We hope we're, we're doing what we love. And clearly, Jake Carroll Nash and Dylan Cheney Jr. were doing stuff they loved. Even even in this cheap, weird, we're going one way, now we're going another. We're going to add in Frankenstein and Dracula to this weird sideshow, head-shopping biker flick. Yeah. I would love to have seen that footage, though. I would have loved to have seen the Russ Tamblin stuff, though. I would have loved to have seen what the original movie looked like. And I don't know if there's a yeah. script out there. I would like to just read it and I was, see. I was wondering if a cut of that might still exist somewhere. I suppose it probably doesn't. Yeah, probably not. Wouldn't that be a great extra on a, the uh, Frank, Dracula versus Frankenstein Blu-ray? An extra on the Blu-ray though, is the original ending from Dracula versus Frankenstein. Have you watched it? I do not have the Blu-ray. I only have the, okay. the DVD. Okay. And I did not rewatch the, alternate ending last night so remind me of what it is because i know i've seen it but i don't remember so the original ending of dracula versus frankenstein i suppose you'd call this the second version of the film spoilers spoilers yeah here's you know the count told you earlier as i've been warned if you weren't paying attention that's on you Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um there's this chase on this structure I can't remember if it's like a construction site or something like that, but the police are involved. The chief of police, by the way, played by Jim Davis. So cool that they got him in here. There's this chase scene and Groton gets shot and ultimately it ends with Dracula falling on a pipe and he's digged through the heart with the pipe. Oh, okay. All right. There is, when Groton gets shot, Mm -hmm. it very clearly seems like that's the end of the movie during the movie. But then the movie continues. So it, it in its current cut, it does seem like it kind of has a false ending or has two endings. Because then suddenly things get just wacky. Montaigne <laughs> Jr. and J. Carroll Nash are dead. Nash in a very fitting and interesting way. Lon Chaney Jr. shot by the police. Dracula and Frankenstein, though, are still around. And somehow now we're going to follow them for the rest of the thing and things just get wild it's bizarre man they go from one coast to the other uh yep. <laughs> somehow this they go little from beach... the, on top of the buildings or whatever they're at uh-huh. to suddenly they're in the the old haunted church i guess yeah this this old and, rundown yeah it, it looks like a haunted church and one of our main characters is disintegrated in that transition well, which yes. Every time that happens, <laughs> I go, "Whoa! <laughs> what just happened here? That that was our hero." <laughs> and I love it. And you know, you're probably going to tell me now, "Well, of course they had to kill that guy cuz they couldn't get him on the <laughs> on the final." And that's absolutely right. Now we're referring to the actor Anthony Isley who played Mike. He has about 10, 20 years on the rest of the cast, but he's kind of looked at as uh, the leading man. Uh, yeah. You know, he's the, got that leading man look. Yeah. He kind of runs the, the hippies, you know, whatever. He wears love beads or whatever. And he's a, he's a master of observation, he tells everybody, which is okay. I always think he's like an undercover cop or something like he that. He has that vibe, doesn't he? Yeah. He really so does. So I always assume that because he's not actually as degenerate as the quote-unquote hippies, that he's kind of an undercover cop <laughs> working to bust them all. Maybe they never said that in the movie, but if I were to, to write an adaptation, that's <laughs> that's what would be going on with him. That would be amazing. Um, 
And so su- we, we say, suddenly, <laughs> well, you said degenerate hippies. We, we don't really see a lot of degenerate behavior. I think the most degenerate any of them get is the one played by Graydon Clark, future director of movies like Joysticks, uh, <laughs> wearing some terribly awesome white and black striped pants. So, I mean, that's probably as degenerate as they get. <laughs> well, but they do, they do drug Judith. Though. Well, are they the hippies that drug Judith, or is it the bikers or the hippies, though? I'm not sure if it's the bikers or the hippies or who, but they drug her, and then uh, Mike actually spirits her away and takes care of her yeah. until she sobers up, which is why I always, maybe I think he's, a, always think he's a cop, even if they've never said that. Oh, so. good point. Good point. Anyway, actor Anthony Isley did not go to the other coast as well, so when you see Regina Carroll and somebody playing Mike running away from the camera, running away from Dracula, that's actually director Al Adamson ah. wearing the co- a coat similar to, or a jacket similar to what Mike was wearing earlier, and that's why he gets written out of the movie the way that he does, even though they had to do that because of necessity, because they didn't have the actor, whatever. I think it's quite shocking it is. and pretty darn cool. Yep. Every time I see it, even if <laughs> I've seen the movie fairly recently, it still takes me by surprise. And it, not knowing the backstory as well as Derek, it always feels like a bold move to me when it happens. Like, whoa, yeah, that's a bold move. That's wow, yeah. I didn't see that coming. That's uh, that kind of stands what it, where I thought this film was going to end up on its head, yep. which is cool. Again, that kind of inventive seat of the pants filmmaking, and then we get the the second ending sequence between the Frankenstein monster and Dracula and Judith tied up in what it's like <laughs> we see here heroines and heroes tied up in films constantly in genre work. She is tied up in what I can only describe as bondage knots. She's not yeah. just tied. She's tied in a, kind of a very specific kind of almost Japanese bondage way. Wow. That's uh <laughs> I don't know how else to read that, except that that's kind of exotic and extreme for what the rest of the film has been made for. But then we get the final confrontation between Dracula and the Frankenstein monster. We get the the kind of typical monster loves the girl and doesn't want to see her harmed. And we get what in Famous Monsters sounded like a really great face-off between Dracula and the monster. But... (laughs) In, in, in the rewatch of it, if you can watch the end sequence and not think of the Black Knight in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. Well, and Samuel Sherman, who does the commentary track on the Blu-ray and I think on the previous DVD release as well, comments on that and says, I'm not saying they ripped us off. But I did work in an office, and across from me was one of the guys from Monty Python when we were working on this movie, and he worked there too. So I'm not saying anything, but which I, I don't think they really ripped it off. But it's, no. it's an interesting connection and coincidence. It reads better than it looks. Yes. Yeah. But it's kind of cool. I mean, the idea that Dracula can do that. It actually has echoes of the final confrontation between Frankenstein monster and the Dracula in Jeff Rovin's Wolfman book. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it which does. Which is Return of the Wolfman, I think, if I remember right. It's like, yes. wow, this is like, some of this was in the end of Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if Jeff did that deliberately or had no knowledge of it at all, but it is kind of interesting. It's interesting there might be a Python 
connection there. You know, so who knows? He might have been quote unquote on at that point. Part so. of the producer's job is to tell stories and that help sell the film. So there you go. Yep. God knows in the in the glory days of Hollywood, things producers and publicists said, you know, sometimes they weren't true. <laughs> Not at all. I've got a number of press kits I'll show you that'll tell you all sorts of crazy things about the movies that never happened. So, right. Yeah. So we see Frankenstein's demise and we see Dracula's demise. And darn it, I love Dracula's demise in this. I think it is one of the most inventive ways to do a demise, a disintegration that way without a lot of money. It's pretty cool. It is really neat. It's basically, you know what? I said spoiler. We said spoilers a couple of times through here. The Count warned you. When Dracula dies, he dissolves in the sun the way Draculas do. But they didn't use a lot of makeup. There's a little bit of makeup. But for the most part, they just keep rubbing more and more dirt on him. <laughs> and, and eventually he breaks down into dirt and little rocks and little sticks and leaves. I always and it's think just that his, is so weird. <laughs> I think it's weird, but he's like returning to his basic, his base elements. You know, it's just kind of, he's going back to whatever the earth was. It's just, I love it. It's cool in a way, but it's also, it always catches me off guard. And I always think... Couldn't they have gotten some ash out of a charcoal grill or something like that? <laughs> hey, yeah, throw some ash in there, too. I'd be down with that. But I just I love the way it looks, man. I adore it. It's, it's It does go on a little long, but I do adore it. Kind of an interesting and inventive scene, yeah. you know, and, and the no-budget scene. And if his makeup were as good as it was in the earlier part of the film, I think it probably would be a little more effective. But, you know... I'm not going to complain too much because it's low budget filmmaking and you know, they're trying for it and they're going for it. And the Dracula ring is pretty cool. Yeah. That ring is awesome. And we've talked about that ring before. There's a vendor at monster bash that has it and he, a replica. A replica yeah. Um, the original ring is lost at this point. The person who made it was somebody in New York. I forget his name. Uh, he loaned it to the production. They gave it back to him. And then he was robbed a few years later and the ring was oh, stolen. No. So who knows where it ended up, but there is no, a vendor. Probably if, yeah. if it's robbed, it could have even been melted yeah. down for the silver. Who knows? Which is just, point. which, yeah, it's a cool. Ring. It is cool. And there is a guy who sells a replica of it at monster bash. It's, it's a little pricey, but it's an officially licensed item. I think it's probably the only officially licensed bit of merchandise from this film that you can right. still get your hands on. He got permission from Sherman to sell it, you know, and, and there you go. I mean, I, I'm start saving up now because it'd be kind of cool to have one. You know, there's this one other thing I want to comment on uh, in the film. And that's that it's got a little bit of credibility because it's got Strick Fadden's equipment. That stuff, the original Frankenstein's lab Equipment is in Frankenstein's lab here. Yep. Now, awesome. It didn't work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was watching it. And I was like, oh, I recognize that. That's from the original Frankenstein. And then I was thought, but it's not kind of moving. <laughs> so the reason for that, uh, and man, I hope I'm not spoiling this article that I wrote too much, but the reason for that. Uh, people will want to have it for the, the official black and white version. There you go. So the reason for that is Strick Fadden kept the equipment in his garage. And when the producers got a hold of him, he said, sure, you can use it. I'm not going to go to set, but, you know, load it up, whatever, and take it to set. They got to set and they couldn't make it work. They don't know if something got jarred along the way or whatever. So they got a hold of Strick Fadden and... First of all, Strickfadden said, no, I'm not coming out. Whatever. I'm an old man. Whatever. Leave me alone. 
You can come here, though. So they got into <laughs> Strick Fadden's garage and shot a whole bunch of close-ups of the machines working to insert into the medium shots of the lab scene. And even that was a fight because originally Strick Fadden said, no, you can't do that because I've let other people do that before. And then they just end up using it in so many more movies than they actually paid me for. And I get ripped off. So they had to promise, no, 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 this is only going to be in this movie. It's not going to be stock footage anywhere else. And then Strick Fadden let them do it. Now, you know, if you're looking for, if that seems a little sad to you and you're looking for a happy ending, I'm pretty sure that Mel Brooks used all those machines again in Young Frankenstein. Oh, man, that stuff's turned up on the Munsters, uh, Blackenstein, and Young Frankenstein, just to name a few. Young Frankenstein was after this, though. So clearly when Mel and company, uh, Gene Wilder and company, got a hold of it, it was all working again. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure Strick Fadden... Either fixed it so or whatever was yeah. wrong with it was not permanent. Right. And I hope those, uh, you know, I have this feeling that those machines are somewhere safe and sound. And if they're not, they certainly should be because they're Hollywood gems. And I'm sure he's not, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure he can't, he can't be around anymore. Well, he passed away in 84, unfortunately. There is a book out there. I haven't read it, but I've got it on my bookshelf called uh, Kenneth Strick Fadden, Dr. Franken's Electrician. Uh, he was known around Hollywood as Mr. Electric. <laughs> Part of the reason he was able to get involved with Dracula versus Frankenstein is because the producers had a connection with some electrician's union and Strick Fadden wanted to get written up in their official publication. So they made that happen. <laughs> yeah, it just... You know, one of those things, you know, he's he's fascinating just to kind of look at everything that he did. Over a hundred movies. Yeah. Man. Do you know if he was hooked into Tesla in some way where they did he have any actual connection there? Because his his machines are clearly the kind of machines that Nikola Tesla loved. <laughs> I don't know. I again I haven't read the book that's about him, his biography. I'd like to. Uh, and, and maybe I'll bump that further up my list of books to read. And maybe someone will uh, call in or write in and that knows more than yeah. we do, which, you know, comments, comments, send comments. Yeah, if anybody knows. Anyway, it's good to see the machines again, even if they're not at full power. But that's the movie. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I mean, again, we know we're not getting high art out of this. Nope. And yes, we know things like Dracula and Frankenstein from Universal are prestige pictures, and this is not. But there is still so much heart and effort and, gosh darn it, let's just go make a movie, guys. Right. You know, kind of vibe to it that you can't help but root for. It. Inventive creativity. This is one of those films like Manos where their reach far exceeded their grasp. But you can't condemn people for that. At least not most of the time. People that try something, try hard, and fail, you know, that that's worth noting. Not everybody can be an Olympic champion, but if you manage to get into the Olympics, that's something. I know that's that's a huge stretch. <laughs> well, it's like you and I were talking earlier. Uh, you know, I've been kind of pushing to get another Rondo Award for Monster Kid Radio, and you were saying, you're trying to convince me that it's enough to be nominated. And you know what? I know in my head that that's true. Being nominated for a Rondo is amazing. It is. To be in that company is amazing. I mean, you've been nominated, what, at least half a dozen times, right? Yeah. Every year, Monster Kid, exactly. yeah, Monster Kid Radio's existence. And you know how many Rondos I've been nominated for? None. <laughs> I've won a number of other, uh, other prizes, and I've been nominated for a number of other prizes. And the, the lesson I've learned is 
not the nomination. It's a cliche, but the nomination is is the honor. Yep. Because that says that people that you care about, people in your peer group, think enough of you to put you up for the big award. Uh, I was talking to my wife about this the other night. There was one time that you lost. I think you may have even come in second to a magazine that literally had spent all their time and effort with their fans and their staff getting people to vote for them. And then that magazine was gone before the next awards rolled around. I mean, they literally put all this effort out to, I wouldn't say steal the award, but to win the award. And then they went out of business immediately. You know, so you can't control that kind of stuff. All you can do as a creator, whether you're doing podcasts or you're writing books or you're doing art, is to put forth your best effort every time. Yep. And hope that that'll get the recognition that you want. And for these guys, the recognition was making enough money with this film that they could make another film. And they made a whole bunch of other films. Yeah, it's not going to win any awards unless it's a Razzie or, you know, Golden Turkey or something like that. But it's it's successful, and they tried hard, and they tried to make something that was entertaining, and for me, they did. Yeah, especially knowing what they had to work with. Taking a failed film and recutting it into a, a successful film, that's that's a pretty good trick. Well, that's how we ended up with They Saved Hitler's Brain, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think so, maybe. You know? Because it was Madman of Mandoras before, and or Madman of Mandoras, and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know the full, full story behind that, but that's a another film I, I probably should rewatch in the near future. Hmm, you know what? I haven't, I was trying to think of what next cult like movie I'm going to cover for this publication. Maybe that'll be the one. Maybe that will be the one. That'd be good. So give me a chance to research it. And I've never talked about it here on the show. So. The other, the other thing that I've kind of taken to judging films like this by is, um, as a writer, there are what in my mind is near misses. Yeah. And this is a near miss. <laughs> Manos is a near miss. But as a writer, when I see these films, I think I could write a really good adaptation of that that would make it all work. And I think Dracula vs. Frankenstein is one of those films. I think that would be a blast to write. It would be a blast to read. And I, I wonder who has the rights to it now. I don't know. I, you know, when I see something like that, I always wish it, it had fallen into the public domain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because then I'd be able to do that. There's a lot of things you can do to make a near miss into a solid hit. These guys didn't have the time or money to do that, but it could have been done. And I like near misses. I enjoy near misses. Sometimes they're really frustrating, but sometimes they're inspiring. And obviously this for me is one of those inspiring ones in the same way that Manos was an inspiring one, which is why I, you know, I wrote two adaptations because I'm a madman. <laughs> Two adaptations of Man of the Hands of Fate, one of which won the top industry award for adaptations in the year it came out. So there you go. This is near miss. And I think near misses are always worth seeing. And if they inspire you, you know, maybe one of our friends, maybe Christopher uh, R. Mim or Joshua Kennedy or, or someone like those great guys could do a similar film to this inspired by this that would maybe be better than this. Mm -hmm. Inspiration is worth something near misses that inspire you are in some ways better creative, better creativity. Yeah. Better creatively. (laughs) We write good, better creatively than a solid hit that you think, 
oh, well, I can't do anything more with that. I'm never going to write a sequel to Casablanca or The Seventh Samurai because why? <laughs> but I could write, if it was in the public domain, I could I could do an adaptation of Dracula versus Frankenstein that would take all the best elements and enhance those, and get rid of the, the ones that aren't so good. I'd want to do more with the bikers, see how they're a little bit more involved with what they're up to and that way, when they do get dispatched later in the movie, you get a little bit more of a... It would mean yeah. a little more. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if I'd play them up or play them down, but you could definitely weave the whole yeah. thing yeah. in back and forth more creatively in a, in a way that would have a kind of a better payoff. So it looks like everybody. MGM actually owns the distribution rights to the film right now. Oh, yeah. I should have known that because that was actually on the... The big yeah. uh, Leo the Lion was there roaring at the start of the print that I watched. So. Which makes it feel like it's going to be a bit more prestige than it is. Um, <laughs> there is somebody <laughs> yeah, out there like in 2018, so just a couple of years ago, somebody by the name of Leo Cook, not spelled the way I spell my name, registered a copyright for Dracula versus Frankenstein, the script. Now, I don't know if this is an original piece or something related to the film or not. I just tried to look up this Leo Cook and can't find any information about him. Uh, so listeners, if you know anything about Leo Cook and this script, I'd like to hear more about it as well and see what it is um, and learn a little bit more about well, it. Well, and whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it bears any relationship to it all. I know I've mentioned this film a couple of times today, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. There is, in theory, a novelization of that out there. Oh, really? Yes, there is. And it's... It's long out of print, and it's one of these ones that crave uh, the demands. You know, if you can spend sixty or seventy dollars, that's cheap for it. But there's also someone that has done a twenty dollar reprint of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you can ask Rod about this because this is a Nashy film, and and he may know a little more than I do. It looks like it was written by drugged out hippies <laughs> to play into the wow. into one of the genres of the, the film we just watched it doesn't make any sense it looks like it it is even wackier than the uh, the film novelization of reptilicus which is kind of softcore oh porn. boy so, that one was a oh that's a mess <laughs> so yeah so you never know it, it could be could be good could be bad could be completely unrelated so but we all know you can't copyright a title right which is how those of you trying to look this up, and there is only a 50-50 chance, unless you include Lon Chaney or J. Carroll Nash or something in your search, that you're going to get this. And the other half of the time, you're going to get Paul Nash's Assignment Terror, which was retitled Dracula versus Frankenstein in the U.S. for some of its releases. Well, speaking of movies that got retitled in Paul Nashie. Yes. Okay, so this movie, I feel, is directly responsible for Paul Nashie gaining a foothold in American cinemas. And the reason for this is because this movie went into reshoots and had so many problems. The way the producers worked was they pre-sold their movies. They were taking a page out of Hammer's playbook, right? They said, hey, we got this Frankenstein movie coming. Told all the theaters, told all the distributors, we got a Frankenstein movie coming. They don't get the movie done. So what are they going to do? Well, let's look at these other movies that we can get our hands on. Here's this Paul Nashy werewolf film. I, I don't remember the original title, but it's the first film. It's Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. So he watches the movie. Sherman takes the movie and, and does what? 
producers do, you know, at the time. They kind of rework it a little bit, add this opening narration about this Frankenstein family changing their name to Wolfstein because they want to stay away from the Frankenstein name and all that. And that's <laughs> why it's called Frankenstein's Bloody Terror. And he's like, yeah, see, I got a Frankenstein movie right here. Here you go. And there you go. That's that's Paul Nashie's first American release of a werewolf film. Which is an independent international yep. logo at the front of it now that you've mentioned it. Yep. So was that that was after this and in theory the next well, this was pre-sold Frankenstein yeah, film? This was sold in exchange for Dracula versus Frankenstein when Dracula versus Frankenstein wasn't done on time. So... <laughs> Yeah, if not for this movie, would we have Paul Nashy werewolf films in the state? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. And the the original uh, title of that was Marca the Wolfman. That's it. La Marca del Hombre Lobo. That's that's kind of an amazing, an amazing connection. Yep. Uh, and and another thing to be thankful for, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Not only did we get the last of the the Cheneys and the last of the J. Carroll Nash films, but we also got Paul Nashy into the United States yep. for that. And that's uh, that's a whole nother show. So thank you, Xander Vorkov, for giving us Paul Nashy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Xander Vorkov, for giving Paul Nashy and all the weird titles that his <laughs> films ended up with. In the United States. Oh, but now I want to see a Xander Vorkov, Baltimore Daninsky film. (laughs) Oh, man. That, you know, that could have been cool. See, this is the the worst part. I love talking to fellow writers and creatives. I do. And this episode, this recording, this conversation is going a little bit longer than I expected it to. I mean, we're over an hour and a half at this point. I don't know what the finished product's going to look like. But when I start talking with other writers and other creatives who happen to dig monster movies as much, if not more than me, this is what happens. We want a novelization of Dracula versus Frankenstein. We want a sequel. We want to see a crossover with Paul Nash. We want to see all this stuff. And darn it, if we're not going to try to find a way to make it happen or a version of it happen in one of our other projects, because, you know, we don't have enough on our plate as it is. <laughs> and if you could have seen what happened with me just then, if this were a video chat, <laughs> you would have seen me go from leaning forward to leaning back in my chair and a little dreamy look coming over my eyes as I imagined what that could be and and how I might write it if such a thing were possible. You know, what this is telling me is that Monster Kid Radio needs to start a fiction publishing thing, a label of some sort for this kind of material to go out on. I I think, I think, ooh. It would be very cool. It could it could even have the Monster Conservancy stamp. It could be a conservancy project where we'd have this, the Monster Conservancy stamp on it and and a whole line of of uh, cool. Don't you wish these were movies? <laughs> Books. Ooh. So. Okay. You know what? We got to stop talking because I've got way too much on my plate right now to add this. But <laughs> man, this sounds cool. I've already started telling people I've got projects that are coming up in 2021 because I've got too much on my plate this year, and it's only February. Yep. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Well, oh exactly. man, like the Scooby Doo stuff I'm going to do next year on the show. So, oh yeah, there you go, there you go. And you don't want to pack the show with too many theme months because then you don't get the breadth of variety that you might otherwise get. <laughs> because then get. you don't get Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> then you don't get Dracula versus Frankenstein. So, Steve, I want to thank you for doing this. I know this has been a long time coming. We've been talking about this for a while, and the next time I have you on, we're going to announce the nominees for this year's Monster Rally Retro Awards. 
Oh, cool. But if people want to find you online, stsullivan.com. stsullivan.com. And if you want to support me on Patreon, it's CushingHorrors.com. Horrors.com, in case you were wondering. In case it sounded like something else. Because <laughs> that will take you to a totally different website that if you don't own yeah, that. It would. <laughs> it would, and I'm not sure what it might be like, and I, I'm going to purposely not imagine that right now. <laughs> and hopefully very shortly we'll have Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors out for you with its Mark Maddox cover, and you'll be able to, to read that. It's still available online if you go to my site, sdsullivan.com, or stephendsullivan.com if you remember to spell Stephen like Stephen Strange and not Steve Rogers. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you couldn't tell by the amount of time Steve and I broke out in giggles, I had so much fun talking about this movie with Steve. I have fun talking about this movie with anybody, even people who don't like it, Kenny. I love this film so much. As far as the magazine that I mentioned a few times during that conversation, this recording was done about a month ago, and since then, the magazine has been published. It is the cult film special from the new magazine, Tabletops and Tentacles. Tabletops and Tentacles is a gaming magazine from Deeply Dapper, and you can find them at deeplydappergames.com. Here's the thing about the cult film special edition of Tabletops and Tentacles magazine. It's free. You can download it right now. It is an e-edition, a PDF. And you can get it if you check out the Tabletops and Tentacles Patreon page. However, it's kind of buried in the comments. I will provide a link in the show notes for you to find it directly if you'd like. And I've whipped up a tiny URL for it as well. So tinyurl.com slash tentacles. When the editor publisher of the magazine approached me about writing an article for this, I was super flattered and I'm hoping that we can come up with a reason to include me in the Tabletops and Tentacles magazine proper as we move forward. The thing is, though, is that Deeply Dapper and Deeply Dapper Games primarily supports themselves through convention appearances. They do gaming products. They've got this new magazine coming up. They also do custom soaps, custom candles, enamel pins, just all sorts of cool stuff. But convention season has pretty much been canceled for the most part, and every one of their events that they were going to go to this year have canceled on them, which means they are suddenly at a disadvantage when it comes to income coming in. So I'm going to recommend you go over to deeplydappergames.com and check out what they have on offer. A lot of their stuff is gaming specific or geek specific, and I'm sure you can probably find something over there that you might enjoy, like the blue milk scent scented soap. Hmm? A little Star Wars action there. They also have a Cthulhu-scented soap. And trust me, it actually smells pretty good. I've smelled it at their convention tables over the years. It's like a little bit of vanilla, um, some flower. Uh, I think there's a lilac in there. It's cool. Anyway, check them out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Deeply Dapper has also launched a few podcasts. And I'll make sure there's links to all of this in the show notes. I want to comment on one other thing that Steve and I talked about before we get on with the rest of the show we talked about the Rondo Awards. Well, as of this recording, the Rondo Awards have been announced. The Rondo Hat and Classic Horror Awards, the winners have been announced. They were announced this past weekend. And Monster Kid Radio did not win uh, again. Now, I hope I'm not coming across as uh, not grateful or bitter because I'm not. I'm really not. I have said to some people in the past, and, and I do mean it, I kind of wish that I can get another Rondo Award because I want to prove to myself that the first Rondo Award that I received a few years ago was not a fluke. That said, I was a runner-up again this year. 
with Dinosaur Dracula and the Shockwaves podcast, the winner of Best Multimedia Site was Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. He does get a number of cool guests on the show, and he's a bonafide monster kid. So I am glad that somebody like him and his podcast did win the Rondo Award. But you know what I'm most excited about? Friend of the show, my brother, Joshua Kennedy. His film, House of the Gorgon, took home the Rondo for Best Independent Film. How cool is that? Josh, my man. Now, I've texted him, and I've been in contact with him on Facebook Messenger. But I want to say publicly here, dude, I am so proud of you, and I am so excited that you've won a Rondo for what has become your best film, my friend. I love all you do. But... I know I'm not alone when I say House of the Gorgon, man. I I know you're doing stuff since then, but man, I don't know how you're going to top it. It's just a wonderful movie. It is so good. And I'm not just saying that because I worked on it a little bit. My contribution is just teeny tiny part of this masterful piece of film and storytelling that you created. So congratulations, Joshua Kennedy, on winning the Rondo this year. I am just so pleased for you, my man. I, I cannot wait to see what happens next. And uh, I mean, love you, brother. your eyes <laughs> for on the day you look upon them you will surely die house of the gorgon why don't you let us alone get back on your train and leave us alone rumors circling around uh, mysterious happenings at night uh, Strange noises emanating from the dark. Leave Karlstadt. Leave now and never come back. Stay away from them. They mean you great harm. Starring Caroline Monroe as the Baroness. What was the sinister secret she hid beneath her dark spectacles? Martine Beswick as her sister Uriel, malevolent and evil. You would sacrifice all that we've done merely to quench your innate desire for violence. Oh, what if I did? Veronica Carlson as Anna, the one woman in the village of Karlstadt willing to stand against these angels of death. I can fight you. We can fight you. Christopher Neem as Llewellyn, a man of faith. Locked in mortal combat with overwhelming evil. If we leave them alone, maybe they'll leave us alone. Also starring Joshua Kennedy as the mysterious Dr. Pritchard. And introducing Georgina Dugdale, Gooey Film's latest star discovery. The Gorgon's most beautiful victim. See all of this and more when you visit the House of the Gorgon. We cast you out! Every unclean spirit, every satanic power, in the name and by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ! If you've seen all the other horror films, this is for you. 
more horror, more screams, and more fright than your wildest nightmares in Frankenstein's bloody terror. An all-new Super Shocker filmed in Chillerama 70mm and gory color. Now meet the wolf monster, a slashing, inhuman creature who prowls by night for new victims. It's terror beyond your most fearsome imagination as vampires, using the powers of witchcraft, summon the hideous wolf monster. Don't miss Frankenstein's bloody terror. It's a super shock spectacle of hideous horror in Killerama 70 and gory color. Rated GP. Today's young people find it fascinating to dabble in the supernatural. How would you feel about driving a wooden stake through somebody's heart? Because they think you and I are going to have to kill Count Yorga. It's conceivable that Paul and Erica might have turned into vampires. If that's true, we'll have to kill them too. Count Yorga Vampire is a horror-haunting tale of today that could happen to you. Count Yorga Vampire is not of the past. It is now. See Count Yorga Vampire. Rated GP. Parental guidance suggested. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know that sometimes I get a little giggly when I start talking about movies that I truly, truly love, especially if it's something like Dracula versus Frankenstein. I did try to cut a lot of my guffaws and ha-has out of the conversation. Uh, you have to let me know what you think. I really enjoyed the film. And if you did or if you don't, if you have any thoughts about the movie, I'd love to hear about them. Send it into the show through the feedback. Again, monsterkidradio at gmail.com or our voicemail line, which is at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Now, this is all available over on our website at monsterkidradio.com net where everything you need to know about this episode and every episode of monster kid radio is posted online anything that we talked about here on the show if there's a link to it on the internet it's going to be here links to that youtube video that i mentioned earlier from the omni viewer about godzilla raids again yeah that's going to be up there amazon links because we're amazon affiliates to dracula versus frankenstein on blu-ray yeah that's going to be there as well and on dvd too and links to the monster movie madness poll the new round the frightful four that's going to be over there as well as well as an announcement of what's coming up next week on the show but you know what i'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for you i'm gonna let you know right now what's coming up next week it is a rare film this one comes to us by way of rich chamberlain rich chamberlain fellow podcaster fellow monster kid introduced the b movie cast years ago to a movie called the beast from the beginning of time now this movie never really had an official release it was seen theatrically once there's a long story about it, an interesting story about it, and we're going to be talking about it next week on the show. Now, if you dig, you can probably find a copy of it online to watch, or you can join me this weekend at Social Distance Saturday because we're going to be showing The Beast from the Beginning of Time this weekend. We're also going to be showing House of the Gorgon in honor of its win at the Rondo Awards. Got a few other surprises in mind as well, and I would love to see you over there or chat with you over there anyway. Head over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio and make sure you are signed up to get alerts whenever we go live because this Saturday, April 11th, is Son of Social Distance Saturday. Social Distance Saturday is our screening series where we're doing online movie streaming, watch parties, 
to help get us through the Corona apocalypse. We can't go out to a movie and go out with each other in person. So we're going to do it through Twitch. The nice thing about Twitch is that there's a chat box. You can chat with all of your fellow viewers, all of your friends and monster kids, make some new friends while you're watching the movies, while you're watching the beast from the beginning of time or house of the Gorgon, or you know what? I'll go ahead and tell you now. I'm also planning on showing fog Island. It's going to be a fun time. I'm really looking forward to it. And I've come to really enjoy putting together and programming these events course there's going to be another one the following saturday and so on and i'm going to try to keep doing these for as long as well we can't go to the movies in person and maybe even beyond that because it's been a lot of fun of course by then i hope we can come up with another name and we don't have to be socially distant from each other because that's yeah Anyway, I had a blast putting the show together. I look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at Son of Social Distance Saturday. And you don't have to come for the whole thing. Pop in and out. You know, we're going to be going for at least seven, eight hours. Pre-show starts around 11 a.m. Pacific, which is 2 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be going, like I said, for at least eight hours, maybe even longer. Live chat with me will begin around noon Pacific. Again, that's twitchtv.monsterkidradio. So maybe I'll see you there, or maybe we'll see you back here next week for the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, the song Red River Surf, that is copyright 2020. The Hominoids. It is from their album Monster of the Mekong, which you can find at thehominoids.bandcamp.com. Check out the entire 11-track album. Check it out, pick it up, download it, buy it, whatever, and just make sure you let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'll talk to everybody next week when we visit the Beast from the beginning of time. Ciao. Ciao.